It's Friday, Real Talkers. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Ryan Jesperson here with you on this February 12th morning alongside Samuel G. Brooks. We have a great show today. The strategists are joining us. Are you ready for the strategists? Oh, I'm excited for this one. This is going to be a great Friday uh, Real Talk Roundtable. Every Friday from 9 to 10, we bring you our Real Talk Roundtable. Plus, uh, Sam, why don't we drop in right now? We're going to be talking to Dr. Brent Sake founder of the world's longest hockey game in about 15 minutes from now here's a live look at how things are going out at sakers acres as I they endeavor to raise seven believe figures they're doing this outside you know what we, you know what would be great is if they had a uh i mean we're getting our expectations need to be measured here because the fact that they even have cameras running camera switchers working in the temperatures that they're enduring is remarkable it would be amazing to see an on-screen uh, readout of, of what the windshield feels like for these players out there. We've been hearing reports, and, and we'll ask Dr. Sake about this coming up in again about 15 minutes, reports that slap shots that have rung off the post have seen the puck shatter, shatter. into pieces. I've drilled through a hockey puck before. They're not, they're like, they're not thin. No, what were you doing They're drilling? Very what were you, uh, I'm curious. What were you doing drilling through hockey pucks? Uh, makes a very good spacer for things. So, like, if you're yeah. doing, um, uh, for example, uh, I have like a desk monitor speakers in my office at home. Yeah. Um, you can buy the really, really nice, like, you know, foam pads that you put under them to isolate the sound, and they Sounds cost expensive. a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, or you can just put hockey pucks under there them. You go. That's that's so, also the uh, the budget way to lift a truck. Everybody that's done their own lift job, turned wrenches, knows that you can yeah. lift a truck with hockey pucks. Not that it's safe, not that it's a good idea. And most audio engineers I know with the speakers are just like, yeah, just use hockey pucks. Just use hockey pucks. There you go. It's the most Canadian thing you can do. Uh, So coming up, as promised on my Twitter the other day, we're going to get into a stack of emails right out of the gates today because, you know, it it happens, doesn't it, that we get into these conversations on the show. And uh, if you listen to the podcast, you know, if you watch us on YouTube, you know, all of a sudden a conversation becomes compelling. And then the next thing you know, the the 10 or 15 minutes that we promised for emails evaporates and you're going, ah, I actually took some time to type out something pretty great, Jesperson, and I would love to see it considered on Real Talk. So that's what we're doing out of the gates. We'll begin by reminding you that the team at Bitcoin, well, we talked to CEO Adam O'Brien yesterday. We hope you learned something about it. Some of you going, yeah, Bitcoin's not my thing, which is cool. Some of you going, I've got a lot to learn about this. Well, that's where they come in. They have a team of professionals ready to simplify it for you. One of our listeners, she wrote in yesterday and she said, I actually, I'm pretty sure I would have enjoyed that segment, but I don't even know where to start with Bitcoin. I wrote her back and I said, just get in touch with their team. That's what they want. You can link to their website under the sponsors tab. It's right at the top of the page. Just follow the link at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We had some great conversations yesterday. I appreciate uh, Scott Gilmore joining us from McLean's Magazine. Of course, we, we also spent some time uh, talking to a former uh, a retired Lieutenant Colonel. David Redman joined us. Uh, he was the architect. He was the author, essentially, of Alberta's pandemic plan that was put together back in uh, 2005 and then kind of re-released back in 2014. Brought him on the show to get his take because MLA Drew Barnes the day before had referenced the retired Lieutenant Colonel's uh, protocol, his his pandemic plan. And, and Barnes is saying, this is what we need to follow. And basically, people might be surprised to hear what the plan is. 
to hear about the pandemic strategy that Alberta had drafted for for years. I mean, for for 15 years, first in 2004 and then again in 2014 or so. It includes, you know, measures that that are maybe not the most popular or not being pushed out by public health officials. Right. If you watched yesterday and, and you can find it, you can follow my, uh, my my Twitter. You can follow me at Ryan Jesperson. Of course, you can just subscribe to our podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We thank you know the thousands of you that are doing that right now. And you'll be able to go back and see the past episodes. Some people were enraged that Drew Barnes and, and David Redman were on the show. And, and some people were grateful for it. Many of you were surprised. Here's what you had to say on the emails. All right, let's just get into these. Uh, loved this from AZ Babin, who wrote in to talk at RyanJesperson.com, said, unlike what seems like 99% of the chatterbox respondents uh, to the guest, uh, to Drew Barnes, I actually agreed with everything that he put on the table except for non-mandatory masking. Uh, Feds and the provincial governments have completely botched pandemic response management by ignoring all the early warnings available and still continue with knee jerk reactionary measures to combat COVID. Uh, AZ says, don't get me started on what federal party it was that shut down pharma, that shut down vaccine production here in Canada. I've seen a lot of people mentioning Brian Mulroney this week. Uh, AZ says Canada is an island kind of like New Zealand, by virtue of the fact that we are painfully insufficient. In other words, we're not self-sufficient on so many levels. In my opinion, says AZ, I enjoy real talk immensely. Well, thanks very much. Uh, This one here we received from Doug yesterday. Doug says, you know, in in your conversations with Lieutenant Colonel uh, David Redmond says, you know, one of the things that, that really jumped out at me, decisions made in emergency management, in particular in Alberta, have always been overridden by politicians. Doug says, I'm including floods and fires. Votes matter. So plans get adapted. Says, I mean, how much advice was taken from the chief medical officer of health in Alberta? The premier doesn't take advice. Apparently, politicians know better. So respectfully, says Doug, the armchair quarterbacks can say whatever they want, but these decisions have been run over by the premier. That's Doug's opinion. Angela says, with regards to Lieutenant Colonel Redmond yesterday on the show, and, and by the way, we tweet out highlights. If you haven't seen them, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to see that that we tweet out, you know, about two minute clips of these interviews to give you a sense of what that interview is like. And then we also include uh, and Sam, we can just show people here. I've got the tweet here. We, we include the YouTube link every single time. So if you want to watch the full interview, you'd be able to find it there. Uh, just follow me on Twitter. Angela says, I listened to your interview with Lieutenant Colonel uh, and I listened to it again this afternoon. She says, at first, I was livid. But I want to just say a second time that it really makes you think about how we've been managing or handling this pandemic. Whether you agree or not, says Angela, I'm just here to say thank you for bringing on somebody with a different opinion than mine. I thought it was a great interview. That from Angela, who says she was originally livid. Deborah says, Ryan, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around your conversation with David Redman, with the lieutenant colonel, you know, first of all, the, the type of lockdown that he describes, if you missed the interview, and I really think you should watch it. But Redman said, basically, we should lock down and, and I'm at risk of oversimplifying or, or you know, inf- infusing inaccuracies here. And in what he said, Sam, you can be my fact checker. If I say anything that you think raises a red flag with regards to accuracy, you let me know. He basically said, um, Lockdown long-term care centers, right, uh, including staffers. So including the people that work there. And a lot of you, and I'll get to your emails, are saying, like, what, a, 
what, what about like they're, they didn't sign up for the army they have kids they have families these could be single parents right he um, described sort of like um almost like a like an oil field camp type scenario where exactly. you put everybody in the same hotel you bust them in you bust them out you keep them all together and you do shift rotations exactly like well yeah. said and then and then he said you know you may have people with comorbidities and, and in this case they may be more vulnerable so you, you quarantine them and then for all intents and purposes the rest of society just, just functions per normal so deborah says i'm yeah i'm still sort of trying to wrap my head around the idea first of uh, you know the type of lockdown shift would exclude some staffers who could not participate in lockdown single parents post-secondary students people working part-time people working more than one job deborah says the you know the, the one incentive of a lockdown would be for staff to be considered full-time anybody who'd been hired as part-time would now be considered full-time with with increased wages for the duration of the lockdown that may be a bonus for some people now, of course, employees on lockdown, she says, would need to be paid much better to endure these multi-week shifts, time away from families. You know, think of the oil workers that Lieutenant Colonel Redmond used as an example. I mean, who'd be responsible for their salaries and would they be consistent across the province to discourage competition between long-term care facilities looking to staff? That's a great point. Deborah also wonders who I mean, who would pay for the hotel and the food and the transportation for these lockdown staff and, and where would they isolate for 14 days at a hotel and and how would the shifts work if hotels couldn't accommodate and how many thousands of people would be be talking about? I mean, think about the logistics of locking down thousands of people for an extended period of time, especially in smaller areas where there may not be a motel or hotel that could accommodate. You know, she says, honestly, my head hurts thinking about the logistics of all this. The only benefit of this type of lockdown Maybe that long-term care workers working full-time wouldn't have to work multiple part-time jobs instead to take care of themselves and their families. Uh, Deborah says, may I close by saying we really shouldn't need a lockdown to ensure that our long-term care staff are treated fairly. Uh, that's, That's a great way to wrap. Mark says, listening to your podcast, great as usual. Thanks, Mark. We appreciate it. It says, uh, Lieutenant Colonel said that, you know, you only lock down people that are over 60 with comorbidities. I mean, you know, did he say when you stop shutting these people in? Because it sounded to me like he was perfectly happy placing these people in some form of prison for the rest of their lives. You know, when when COVID-19 disappears, it's still floating around. It's still being passed around from person to person. Mark says, I'm over 60. I have comorbidities. and, And quite frankly, I'm tired of being trapped in my house. He says, I used to travel, I used to go to restaurants, I used to visit friends. I lived an active life. He says, is this how Drew Barnes and all those others that signed up for that anti-lockdown group are thinking? He says, this is extremely selfish. Are, are they saying well, the disease only affects certain people? Too bad, so sad. The rest of us get what we want. At, le- at least these other people won't die. Mark says the lieutenant colonel's got to be right around 70. He says, why don't you go lock yourself in your home indefinitely? Don't call us, we'll call you. Mark says this interview is a real eye-opener. That from Mark, we appreciate it. Paul says, Sam, the bow tie yesterday says it's always great to see somebody under the age of 60 that can tie one. That from Paul, you caught his attention. I appreciate that, Paul. Thank you very much. Paul opens with a shout out to the bow tie. (laughs) Well deserved. He says now both Redmond, the lieutenant colonel yesterday and Scott Gilmore from McLean's made good points I had to think on. As every brilliant military leader will tell you, you draft a battle strategy, you go into battle, you toss out the strategy because it's immediately obsolete. This translates to our pandemic reaction for the uninitiated strategy is always a very high level plan based on the best information or knowledge at the time. Best at the time, not perfect, says Paul. 
As we've witnessed, no Canadian politician west of the Atlantic started their response by referring to plans laid out by emergency planners incorporating best practices from other countries. Nor have our politicians really listened to the scientists and the MDs on the front lines. They haven't read data specific to the virus and integrated into a well-planned and communicated strategy. Says, while I agreed with some of the points outlined in the plans the colonel identified, uh, we should know to take them in the context of a static plan revised seven years ago that should have been thrown out because the first point in the plan contained the virus was completely ignored. So react to that epic fail and draft new plans. Paul closes by saying, as a side note, the colonel reverted to the metrics of war, you know, killed in action, the death count to frame the situation, to identify options, to make recommendations. Paul says, I do not mean to suggest he doesn't feel for the families in question or the people that have died, but, but it, it is how the conversation and the thinking has been framed since day one. Yes, we want to avert death, but that is not the only metric by which we make decisions. Injuries, hospitalizations count too. They lead to lifelong issues and PTSD. Paul says, we must not ignore this. That's a great email. Tanya says, uh, Jespo, Sam, thanks for having the lieutenant colonel on your show as much as it makes me want to scream and eat my feelings. It's good to hear these perspectives for two reasons. Number one, it helps me understand what other people are hearing and latching on to. You can't understand a perspective you don't hear. And number two, it challenges me to think of how I would rebut the arguments. There's a lot to take in on Redmond's ideas as outlined on Real Talk from the it's just the seasonality, not the lockdown angle to the masks are just a placebo for scared people angle. But I'm just going to focus on the we can save the rest of us pain by locking away the old people argument. First, while it's true that most of the deaths from covid came from the 80 plus age group, many of whom are in long term care homes, the healthcare system is buckling from the younger subset. The frail and elderly do not end up in an ICU. They may not even be hospitalized. They may have care directives to simply make them comfortable at home in their final days because the pain, the trauma of an intervention in an ICU is not in line with their wishes. What is crippling our healthcare system is the 40 to 80 year olds, the vast majority are who, who are not in long term care homes. They're the ones taking up ICU beds, sometimes for weeks. We're putting in vast amounts of resources to keep these people alive. And the more of them that become infected, the more resources it takes. While they're in beds, that means that other people can't be people who need cancer surgeries or knee surgeries. And those delays will cost lives, too. And it gets really bad when it does. Our ICU has to triage those who get beds. And that's getting to refrigerator truck level, says Tanya. Let's not forget. I'll break off her email for a second. We were talking about field hospitals like two weeks ago. Let's not forget. A big part of what Real Talk's going to do is remind you of things as you remind us, too. Let's help keep each other's memories sharp. She says, you know, and then there's this whole long hauler angle, says Tanya. Not everybody impacted for life by this disease has died from it. We're going to see costs to society for years to come. Now, is Redmond suggesting we lock up 40 to 80 year olds? Of course not. But he is making his plans based on a small subset of data without looking at the whole picture. You know, the very thing that he and the Liberty Caucus, this end the lockdown caucus, you talked to Drew Barnes about it, Ryan, is the exact thing that they're accusing others of doing when they go on about the mental health crisis being as severe and how it's being ignored by lockdown advocates. So, yeah, Redmond's not a doctor, says Tanya. He's an emergency management specialist, but maybe in this case, being a doctor who works in a hospital and who sees who's lying in those beds would have provided some context and some perspective for him that may help him form better plans. And now I can relax that from Tanya. 
Real talkers, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that Tuesday, we're taking Monday off. We're going to take we're going to observe family day. We're going to have a stat. Uh, we're going to be back at it live 830 Mountain Time on Tuesday and at nine o'clock Tuesday from nine to ten. We've, we've we've given a task out to three physicians. So infectious disease, Dr. Lenora Saxinger, emergency room, Dr. Shazma Matani and ICU doctor Darren Markland have been granted they've been given homework and they're going to be they they're watching they the interviews enough? they are busy they've they've agreed to give us their time they're in their off hours Sam uh, and you're going to be getting emails with time codes on them because I've asked them to watch the Drew Barnes interview and I've watched them to watch the Lieutenant Colonel Redmond interview and they're going to pull clips of things that they want to address and for an hour from nine to 10 on Tuesday, we're going to hear from an emergency room doc, an ICU doc, an infectious disease doc. And they're going to go through and share their thoughts on ending the lockdown, not wearing masks and locking down long term care centers. And, and we're going to get a sense from the doctors. This is kind of the you know, we'll call it uh, the big newscasts call it continuing coverage and we're proud to offer that do we have saker ready to rock okay real quick i'm going to remind you that the reason that we do interviews like the one we're about to do is because we have the support of our incredible partners partners like park power if you go to parkpower.ca uh, you'll know that they give 10% of their profits. They take them and they put them right back into the communities where they live, to the nonprofits that they believe in. We love how they approach their corporate citizenry. They've also got 70 bucks to give away to each and every person that signs up for residential or commercial internet, electricity, and natural gas at parkpower.ca. Just use the promo code 2021-REALTALK and that's 70 bucks off your first bill. All right, this guy is an absolute legend. He is a Guinness World Record holder. Sam, he is the founder of uh, the world's longest baseball game. That goes every couple of years. And, of course, the world's longest hockey game as well. They have raised millions of dollars for cancer research. And right now, the play is underway as it has been for days at his place, uh, colloquially known as Saker's Acres. It's Dr. Brent Sake, the founder of the world's longest hockey game. Pal, welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. How you doing, sir? Oh, buddy. <laughs> That's the only time I'll ever say that. I take that back already. <laughs> yeah, you've, I've never heard you call me sir before, and I, I don't expect to ever hear it again. Um, I was, I was, I was going to say, I'm trying to find the nicest way to say you look like shit because you're an absolute legend. But <laughs> you, you, I'm going to... You said go outside, so I'm going to do this for a second here. I can't believe, you're, I can't believe we're making you do this. Uh, yeah. so tell, tell us what we're seeing right now. Tell us where we're at and what we're seeing and how cold it is. Well, you're seeing uh, Red beat up on Team White by about 100 and some goals right now. And I'm not sure what temperature is, but it's uh, it's warmed up to, I think, minus 23 or something right now. It's the first time I haven't had a Belaclava on in a week. Well, it's uh, that's a real shame. I'm, you, I'm going back inside. <laughs> yeah, go back inside, pal. We just, we, yeah. yeah, and we do have, I by the way, Sam, <laughs> Sam can show us the, uh, you guys have the live stream set up, which is awesome. People can just go to worldslongestgame.ca and check out the live stream so we can watch everybody play while we talk to you. Uh, Saker, first off, I mean, probably most importantly, uh, that hair. Uh, that 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 mullo, we'll call it the the moule, uh, that hockey hair. Uh, you've been preparing for this. It's evidence you've been preparing for this for months. Obviously, take us into what goes uh, into a game like this. Yeah, it's it's years actually. My son Jesse, uh, him and I made kind of a a self bet that we would grow this uh, mole, uh for almost two years now. We were growing long hair, and 
and then we cut it just before the game. Um, but the, the deal was as soon as the game was over, we were going to cut our hair and I could finally go back to normal and have that masterful salad like yourself there. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. You, yeah. Could, yeah. you could clean it up and be respectable again. No, hey. But Jesse wants to keep it now. That's the problem. <laughs> well, that's good. That's exactly what he should do. He's, he's, yeah. He, uh, hey, sake you guys uh, p- for people that aren't familiar with this game how many you you've broken how many you've broken the world record what four times now uh, I think so we're we're currently breaking our own world record is sort of where it's at the uh, the record I think has been broken by three other groups of people uh, all for the same same reason and every time that sort of happens, I get phone calls and they ask me, how do you do it? What do you do? How much food do you need? What do you put on your feet and all that kind of stuff? And uh, I love having those conversations because there's a beautiful group of people in Buffalo that are going to break the record, I believe, in May. Um, And in talking with them, um, unfortunately, that fellow has a very similar story where his wife passed away with cancer. Um, they're raising money down in Buffalo for cancer research, et cetera. So we have great conversations on what types of things that they do to to make things easier, et cetera. And, and I and I feed back to him as well. It's uh, it's remarkable the commitment that you and your fellow players demonstrate, not just on the fundraising, but in the actual showing up and skating. Um, what's what record are you going to set? I mean, if everything goes well, what are we talking? It's more than ten days. How long will you have been skating around the clock in these temperatures? Uh, two hundred and fifty-two hours and and minutes and stuff like that. We're we're breaking uh, again. Sam is talking to the fellow in Buffalo and the other groups that have. I've played this game. Uh, we're, I think our record's 252 hours, uh, seven minutes and eight seconds. And we're going to break it basically by a second or two. I figure at 10 or 11 days, you kind of prove your point and we're not going to break it by a, by a long time. That's for sure. So you, uh, you, you woke up, I got a text from you. You know, we've been corresponding. You've been sending us some photos that we've just been seeing. Uh, members of your team have been helping us out with putting this together. I know that you got off the ice at about five 30 this morning. Um, which means that we're interrupting your sleep, which is being jerks. Cause you got, you're going to have to be back on the ice again in a few hours. How do people, the, the physical toll that this takes Saker, like we're talking blacked out toenails, frostbite, obviously muscle cramps, th- things like that. How, how are people managing it all? Um, everybody's uh, surprisingly doing quite well. Um, and, and the only jerk part is my line right now is changing. My That was sort of my three-hour break. Um, so there I go, oh, yeah, great. Sake's got another interview. It looks like he'll be a half hour late for his shift. So <laughs> thanks again for that. Um but no, everybody's been doing really good, surprisingly. Um, the, there's a lot of new people that are playing, and they've been listening to sort of the vets saying how to tire skates, what kind of clothes to wear, uh, some of the equipment that we have uh, with our invented booties, we'll call them. Um, that kind of stuff has sort of kept people as warm as possible, and we've increased the number of players per shift meaning you got to come earlier stay late so you're not skating for uh for as long while you're out there and uh everybody's actually doing really well right now saker we can see uh one of the players out there we can see what those booties look like uh they're they're basically like almost gore-tex covers for the skates right is that that's that's something that's almost did you develop that didn't you 
Yeah, that was a uh, homemade invention. <laughs> and now we have different versions of it where uh, with felt, uh, there's some down skin ones. Uh, lots of lots of fun little versions. And uh, we have one fellow that has, pink, has, has a pink pair, which is obviously for a cancer reason. Uh, it's kind of neat. And, and the funny part is we've got some pretty uh, – uh, well, some incredible hockey players that have had good careers and whatnot in their, uh, well, past lives for sure. Um, but uh, there, there's no, it's not a fashion show out here. Let's just put it that way. Um, and it doesn't help you skate. It kind of gets in the way when you're playing. But everybody knows that uh, rule number one is get through the uh, get through the marathon. Yeah, well, and there's no way that you guys were, were going to cancel this. I mean, in, in the face of adversity, obviously the cold is one thing. And it, nature's cruel, it seems like every time the world's longest game goes, every couple of years, it seems to be the coldest snap that we've seen in those two years. Uh, also, COVID, uh, the pandemic, you've had to take a lot of steps to make sure that everybody can be together. I, I understand every player is undergoing daily tests. Can you take us into, you were granted an exception by the province's chief medical officer of health. How have you had to manage those challenges? Um, it was it was tricky uh, initially, and as it as it should be. Uh, what we went through was uh, months of planning with the AHS and, and the government. Uh, the the biggest thing that we all know is to put a group of forty people into a room. That's not a healthy situation right now. Um, so to start, we had to go into. We might be. Uh... We had to go into quarantine for five days at home, and then. After that, we did a quarantine of two days here. And since then, we haven't been able to have supplies go in or out of our, our bubble. It is it is as true a bubble as you, well, it's just, it's a bubble. Nobody's left. Nobody's been able to talk to their families. Their kids aren't allowed to hug their dads. Um, oh, that, uh, that's the hard part for me. It's just not having the families here. These guys are doing a great guy. Well, not these guys, but the guys on the ice. These guys are lazy. That's lazy. Oh, <laughs> what's up, boys? How are you? Welcome to Real Talk, fellas. A bunch of absolute beauties right there. Saker, I hope they can hear me. If not, you make sure we let them know. Hey, listen, man, I'll tell you, uh, you know, one of the things that's really different about this one, and, and you know that I've just adored what you guys are doing, and, and it's been one of my favorite traditions to come out. I love coming out at 2 and 3 in the morning when when it's typically pretty quiet, um, bringing, yeah. a, bringing a cowbell out there or, or whatever, an air horn, and, and making yeah. sure that everybody knows how supported you are. Um, you've, you've had to, I understand there's been some drive-bys. Some people have been able to sort of drive through, stay in their cars, and, and show some signs of support. That must mean a lot, at least. That's a, that's a great thing. Our our fans now are pictures, so people drive by and drop off uh, pictures, and we get them laminated for them, and they're hanging up all around the rink, and uh, uh, it's pretty cool. I've I've looked at uh, uh, some stuff that well, there's unfortunately a lot of the pictures are sad stories of little kids that have passed away with cancer, and and family members showing love. Uh, we had a we had an amazing amazing. Uh, time at around noon yesterday where uh, the, the the push on getting this done and and the question of why why the urgency and why do it now etc this this drug that uh, that we're thankfully going to be able to get through the human trial uh, with the 1.5 million uh, 
this drug is going to save some lives instantly. And a lady came by around. I think we might. She she started her story with she started her story with uh, her little boy passed away at the age eleven of cancer, and three years later she was diagnosed with cancer and had a double mastectomy. And the drug that we're trying to raise funds for is basically going to try to save her life because she's not going to be with us very long. Um, but this is her last chance at uh, at, uh, at living. And if this drug doesn't go through as soon as possible, then, then she's not going to be with us very long. So she came and told a story about um, about her life and, and what she went through. And she was very thankful. And uh, so we, we thankfully got to see a person that uh, is going to get this, get through on this study starting uh end of april well that's absolutely it's uh it's incredible it's a it's a reality check it's uh i think that it's the type of reminder when you do this game every couple of years it reminds the rest of us of how uh, many reasons we have to be grateful and thankful and to to squeeze our loved ones to remember those that we've lost and then ultimately to step up and do what we can to support you on your fundraising journey so i have right now on on my laptop called up world's longest game.ca uh this is where people can go uh saker what's what's the fundraising raising goal and where are you at right now my man we are at 1.313 million dollars which is unbelievable <laughs> and I, you know what's funny is i i i have to be careful not to swear when i'm doing interviews but I guess no you can swear on this show pal yeah <laughs> there's no need but the, uh, we're at 1.3 million dollars <laughs> And uh, we got 200 grand to go to get to get the money. I know we're going to make it. A lot of people ask me when we start this process during a time like this, uh, uh, are you sure you're going to be able to meet your goal? And because we make promises, I, I promised Dr. Mackey, I'd give him his money. And uh, never, never, if you look back months, interviews from months ago, I said, We'll do it. This community is unbelievable and has never let us down yet. So I don't, I don't know why they would this time. And, and honestly, of every other game, we've never raised this much money up to this point at this time. So uh, we're, we're doing the best we've ever done in fundraising. And I want to thank everybody that, uh, that has helped us through that process. Well, I'll tell you what, pal, we've we've got uh, a ton of support right now. I know from real talkers, people people right now, Shalane on our live chat says this is hitting all the feels this morning. I'm donating right now. Uh, Nicole says this is amazing. Mark, Mark's watching from Salt Lake City. He says I'm making my donation as we speak, which is incredible. Hey, Mark, um, as soon as I can go to Vegas, I'm going to be driving through your town and I'll have a beer with you. I miss <laughs> I miss Salt Lake City because it's, it's where I stop. Because you need one good night's rest on your way to Vegas. You stop at Salt Lake. Uh, There are people that are spitting out their coffee right now across Canada because they just heard Dr. Brent say say that you need a good night's rest. And everybody knows you don't you don't believe that one bit. Um, Hey, Saker, when when do you guys wrap up? When do you hit the the 252 hour mark? It's this weekend, right? Yeah, at uh, uh, 6 a.m. on Monday morning is when we're casting salmon change, etc. As soon as. As soon as uh, my son Jesse steps on the ice, uh, that's when the players know that the game is over and uh, we've beaten the record and, and done our thing and we move on and kick everyone out of my house and lock the game. 
Well, Katie says she's going to be dro- dropping by to, to stay in her car and ring a cowbell out of the window. And uh, Terry says that she's donating right now and everybody's going to step up here. Saker, uh, again, worldslongestgame.ca. Absolutely love what you and everybody out there is doing. I should mention, obviously, the support team, your family, the volunteers, everybody that makes this happen. There's been reports, people can see on social media, uh, people hitting posts and these pucks are shattering. They're breaking yeah. into pieces. Uh, it's so cold out there. It's it's unbelievable what you're doing. Uh, you have my absolute respect and much love for you and everybody out there, Saker. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you bet. Worldslongestgame.ca. Just a bunch of beauties out there raising more than a million dollars for incredibly important uh, research. And you heard medication as well. They've funded so many things over the years. Unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, This is a great time to remind you that the team right now at Clean Air Club is ready to help you save money and breathe easier. We know all of us are trying to pursue a more healthy living environment. If, If there's ever been a time in the last, what, 100 years that that's been on our mind, how our respiratory health is so important to us, it's now. If you go to cleanairclub.ca and sign up, they're going to give you the exact size furnace filters you need. They're going to drop them off at your door. They save you a trip to the store. Plus, they can offer it at a rate lower than what you'd pay with some other similar services. And they're locally owned right here in Western Canada. Of course, you can save money and breathe easy with cleanairclub.ca. It's a real pleasure to remind you that the team at Friesen Brothers is set to open the doors on their 15th Alberta grocery store, their 15th location in South Edmonton, just on the Anthony Hendy, just off on Rabbit Hill Road there. They're going to be opening March 5th. Among the features there, a grill. You can pick up a hot burger. They've got a pizza oven there right in the store and craft beer on tap. Plus, their famous baking section, a cinnamon bun corner, and all of the other things that set Friesen Brothers apart. For more than 60 years, Friesen Brothers has been Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. We're just a minute away from our Friday roundtable with the strategists. Let's take a look at what's making headlines today. Well, right around uh, now, we're expecting an announcement, uh, a a collaborative uh, partnership between the federal and provincial government here in Alberta. Infrastructure projects expected down the line for communities, including Medicine Hat and Calgary. That announcement to be made momentarily. And of course, keep your eye out for that as we sift through the details through the day. You know that uh, more than 380,000 frontline workers in Alberta will receive one-time payments of $1,200 from the government for working through the COVID-19 pandemic. This was announced by Alberta's Premier on Wednesday. Now, we're hearing from some groups that are saying the program needs to be expanded. They're saying bus drivers, school bus drivers aren't getting covered here if they don't work enough hours. They're saying substitute teachers should be covered. Meantime, public and private sector workers in healthcare, continuing care, education and transportation, grocery as well, are checking to see if they'll be eligible for the benefit. You have to have worked at least 300 hours between October 12th and January 31st. The benefit funded 75% by the federal government, 25% by the Alberta government. This is an interesting one on the heels of our conversation with Adam O'Brien just the other day. Purpose Investments has been cleared by regulators to launch the world's first Bitcoin exchange traded fund, opening the door for retail investors to more easily access a cryptocurrency that's been stalled by regulators for years. It was the Ontario Securities Commission yesterday that gave the green light for Purpose Investments to launch their Purpose Bitcoin ETF under the Toronto Stock Exchange. It'll begin to trade under the ticker BTCC on February 18th. It'll invest directly in Bitcoin. 
So in other words, it allows you to invent to access the cryptocurrency without the need for a digital wallet. Do we have that shot of the all-time great Canadian, the legendary question asker, the man who potentially put uh, Canadians on the map in the United States in a way that no other Canadian has, Alex Trebek, potentially, perhaps, one of the most trusted figures in the history, the modern history of the entertainment business? Well, months after his death, have you heard this wonderful story? Beloved host, Alex Trebek's legacy of kindness has endured. The show, Jeopardy!, and his family have donated a significant portion of his wardrobe, certainly a collector wardrobe, to an organization that's helping underserved Americans get back on their feet. They were donated to the Doe Fund. That's D-O-E, the Doe Fund. They provide paid work, housing, vocational training, and of course, clothing to Americans with histories of addiction, homelessness, incarceration. The donation included 14 suits, more than 300 ties, 15 belts, 60 dress shirts. They say this nine pairs of dress shoes, nine sport coats, two parkas, and three. I love this. Three pairs, Sam. Three pairs of slacks. Oh, slacks. Not trousers. Not trousers. Not dress pants. Slacks. slacks. Very imagine, specifically slacks. You imagine what it would do for a guy that that that's coming out of a, a situation, you know, perhaps, uh, you, you know, finding a way out of homelessness, uh, managing or finding a way out of addiction uh, or incarceration, finally released back to the world, knowing you have something to give to the world. And you're walking into a job interview wearing one of Alex Trebek's suits. I love it. I love it so much. That just that just I can't even imagine what would do the mentality of somebody. What a confidence boost that would give you. Wouldn't like, that's it just, be? It's such a like. Alex Trebek is known for being a very kind, philanthropic, generous person to begin with, but just like even post-mortem, you know, you see his kindness still spreading. So like this one just warms me so That's much. That's a great way to put it, Sam. Let's get to our Friday roundtable. This is a tradition every Friday from nine to 10. We welcome in two or three people who's who, who, who give us uh, food for thought, who provide valuable insights. And if we can't get any of those people, we go to the strategists. And so it's a real pleasure to welcome the three individuals behind one of the most popular Canadian political podcasts going. Uh, they've been at this for a number of years, which makes them veterans of the podcast scene. It's, it's a pleasure to welcome uh, a partner at Northweather where he's VP strategy, Zane Velji, uh, the vice president of communications. He's senior associate vice president, as a matter of fact, at the University of Calgary, Corey Hogan and the president of Decide Campaigns, Stephen Carter. Fellas, welcome to Real Talk. Thrilled to have you here. What's uh, up, Jespo? <laughs> yeah, we uh, we walked so you could fly, buddy. That's, uh, yeah. We're trailblazers <laughs> in the podcasting business here. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I greatly appreciate it. Zane, let's start with you because we're asking you to, you know, we're asking you to, if I can sort of infuse a hockey reference here, you're our, you're our Dustin Bufflin or you're our Brent Burns today. We're asking you to play out a position. Uh, typically, you're taking the subject matter and you're throwing it in front of Corey and Carter uh, for them to digest. You, you, you ready to step as a, as a panelist today? I'm, I'm ready to hit cleanup. Uh, you know, usually the mediocrity that both of them present needs some sharpening. Uh, so I'm ready to step in, sharpen some of the weak takes, make them hot takes, make them palatable to your audience. So I'm so glad to be here uh, in this role, Ryan. Um, it, it's, uh, it's something I've been looking forward to 
uh, stepping out of the shadows of, of Stephen and Corey uh, and and their monster-sized egos. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you guys are able to fit into the graphic windows that we have here. Typically, four people across one screen doesn't allow for big heads, but here we are. Hey, Carter, I was talking yesterday to uh, I was talking to Scott Gilmore from McLean's, and, and he's saying, you know, it's time. He says it's, it's, he says the prime minister's virtue signaling. He says he thinks that he's setting an example by working from home, but he needs to get back into the PMO. He needs to have a war room. He needs to have a representative from every province around the table, uh, essentially a part of a bigger conversation around how the federal government has managed the pandemic. Right now, all anybody cares about is vaccine procurement and distribution to the provinces. How is the federal government doing in your assessment, Steve? Uh, not great. I mean, we had uh, a, a goal for December that wasn't met. We had a goal for January that wasn't met. And uh, now we're not seeing the numbers that we expect to see in February. I expect that it will get better. I mean, Justin Trudeau um, has signaled this week that things are going to get better. Um, I think that the challenge for him is that they absolutely must get better. There's no more uh, no more leeway for him to miss another deadline and uh, you know, set us up for failure one more time. Corey, how would how would you evaluate, at least on the surface? I mean, you've done a lot of communications on behalf of government. Uh, how is this federal government? What story would you be telling if you were telling the story of this federal government to 35, 40 million Canadians? Yeah, that story was a little easier to tell a few months ago when we were talking about the, the, the theory, the hypothetical vaccines that we were all going to get, how we had 10 doses per Canadian. Uh, but when the rubber hits the road, we found that the specifics haven't exactly been in our favor, have they? Um, we are we are not getting doses on a weekly basis at the level we want because our, all of our contracts are in a quarterly sense. So, of course, if, if you're Pfizer and you've got contracts that allow you to uh, extend your shipments to Canada, you're going to do it during these times of constraint. So I, as a government, what I'm trying to do is get Canadians to step back and look at the big picture and understand that um, that 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 vaccine timeline has not fundamentally changed, but there are going to be ebbs and flows week by week. And I think that's what uh, Justin Trudeau is doing. He always talks about quarterly numbers, continually reinforces the fact that we are going to hit our quarterly numbers, talks about the hundreds of thousands of vaccines coming in. Well, that's great, but we've got 37 and a half million Canadians. So, you know, at, at the current pace, it is going to be years before we are all vaccinated. But the zoom out uh, uh, approach is, is appropriate. And it is what he's doing now. Is it going to work? We still don't have needles in our arms, right? And and ultimately, that's hard to get past, because that's keeping us here in our little zoom boxes, uh, instead of getting to be in studio enjoying the the full Jesperson experience. Yeah, which which starts with the real talk beer fridge, which right now is just so lonely. <laughs> Sitting there in the corner, it's very, just, very lonely. It's so lonely. It's just yeah. off camera. Sam Brooks, Look at this big table we have for you guys. We you guys, built it nice. for you. You guys would be in here. We'd be cheersing. You know, we'd be getting into it. And of course, we know. So, so there is this kind of um, pandemic f fatigue in a way for a lot of people. There's a pandemic exhaustion. And, and I want to be very clear. I don't want to take anything away from people that have lost loved ones. There's people who have loved ones on ventilators right now in ICUs. So let's not pretend like you know not being able to be out at a bar or not being able to be with eighteen thousand and other people at a hockey game uh, is the worst thing. But but that's what most people are feeling, people that aren't in the ICU. Uh, Zane, do you see it? I mean, as, as governments now, including the Alberta government, including the Ontario government, are trying to reopen to a certain degree. Fitness facilities, restaurants are saying we need to be able to keep our heads above water. Uh, meantime, professionals, medical professionals are saying we're getting ready for a third wave. We should not be doing this at all. I mean, how are you wrapping your mind around what intuitive policy would look like, Zane? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, this is not easy. This is three-dimensional chess for many politicians. They're having to balance the swim lanes of economy and health, and often the muddling of those two proverbial swim lanes is is quite uh, quite apparent as well. You know, you're also now not just dealing, Ryan, with a third wave, but a third wave with the variants. And I think that's what the big issue here is, that the, the vaccines that we're getting in our arms uh, will be helpful. Corey's points around communication as to what the Fed should do will be important. But if we have a third variant that is less conducive to the vaccines that we have on hand, man, oh man, are we in for a different story. And and what the ramifications that could mean for, for premiers and governments that chose to open, knowing once again, the novelty of the third variant, kind of like the novelty of back in March and April of 2020, as to what the, the initial coronavirus was going to be. It's the same uh, puzzle. And now to take a different approach than we collectively did in March with a variant that we know very little about, that we, variants, plural, that we know very little about, combined with uh, vaccines that we have but don't know their efficacy with these variants is a real, real gamble. And I feel like politicians, while they might be trying to balance their their political agenda and their political base for slamming on the door, uh, for for opening up and anti-lockdown and and the economic sort of flow, uh, are going to be paying a much higher price, not just in politics, but perhaps even in their conscience, as they start thinking about what the ramifications of a third wave with so many unknown variables looks like. Uh, fellas, first of all, I want to encourage you all like don't don't just do what you do. Feel free to jump in and interrupt and, you know, tell each other how ridiculous you think the takes are. You don't have to wait for me to throw questions in front of you. Um, but uh, Penny says, you know, I'm really tired of these angry sort of warlike terminologies, war rooms and, and stuff like this. You know what I'm saying? Judy says, yeah, more war room talk. What about collaboration? What about working for the good of the people? And I like this. Marco uh, wonders, maybe maybe Carter, I'll throw this in front of you and then you guys can take it and run with it. Marco says, can anyone please? Please explain to me how any other political party would do any form of a better job of getting manufacturers to meet deadlines. Carter, could anybody do a better job? What do you think? No, no one could do a better job. I mean, this is the reality. The, the manufacturers can produce the, 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 the vaccine at the pace that they can produce it at. There is no faster mechanism and no one would have a better uh, relationship with the, the global manufacturers. The global manufacturers uh, aren't living and dying by whether or not Aaron O'Toole's picking up the phone and giving them a call. I mean, that's just seen by the CEO of Pfizer as a giant pain in his ass, which reminds me of those two people who say, don't use war room terminology. Don't be a giant pain in my ass. I don't come to your work and tell you what to say. You don't come to my fucking work and tell me what to say. Thank you very much. So Jesus. Carter, Carter's wrong about most things. I, uh, I'll just leave the war room thing for a minute. Politicians love uh, campaign terminology. Campaign is a military term as well. It's, you know, military terminology abound in politics. Um, but when you say, can the Canadian government, could the Canadian government have done anything different? Well, it, obviously. Yes, absolutely. They could have. They could have struck deals that allowed week by week delivery. They could have paid a king's ransom in order to get more vaccines sooner, as Israel did. These were choices that the Canadian government made. And uh, in some ways, you kind of have to look at it now and say, did we go for kind of the splashy when you work in a workplace, you'll often have KPIs like the number of followers we have on our Twitter account. And somebody will inevitably say, does that matter at all? 
And I think it's time to start asking the question, does having 10 doses per Canadian matter at all? Maybe what we should have been talking about is how quickly we can get those vaccines from these different companies. And maybe that would have been a better metric. Maybe our procurement people should have been looking at what was going on around the world and the fact that you had countries across the EU and the United States trying to get weekly delivery numbers or bi-weekly delivery numbers and saying, hmm, is that going to be a problem for us given that we've given them a three-month delivery window? And ultimately, yeah, things could have been done an awful lot different. Is this Monday morning morning quarterbacking you bet it is but um, this is not something that other countries didn't see coming but there's there's also something to be said about this particular government the trudeau government they have a pattern as it relates to taking the victory lap before the win is actually delivered so they're perhaps on the victory lap when the win is yet to be sealed and i feel like i wouldn't call it boasting but the the telegraphing to the public that let's start cheering we've got the most amount of doses per capita of any other country, Western world country, I believe country at large in the, in the world, was something we were celebrating. And I think it was an, another uh, one of many examples of this government being really good at symbolism, but then also uh, perhaps, you know, overselling uh, the output of what they're able to deliver or execute upon. So yes, they could have done something different to Corey's point on the execution, signed contracts with the EU would have been nice. You know, things like, uh, uh, you know, procurement strategies to, that like Corey mentioned that were on a weekly basis would have been nice. Expectation setting around some of those targets would have been nice. Uh, but it also goes down to a communications trap that this government has fallen in multiple times, which is around taking this victory lap prior to having anything delivered uh, to Canadians. Kim uh, uh, is watching. I want to get to a few of these comments, uh, but this is amazing. Kim says, this is one of my favorite comments I've ever received since I've started doing the show. Um, It's a little in the weeds. It's a little inside baseball. Keep your eye on the middle frame, everybody. (laughs) Kim says, I align with Corey Hogan. I regret for a time I confused him with Corey Morgan. My apologies to Corey Hogan. (laughs) Okay, That's rest a- of the show. Here we go. Let's let's talk about the differences uh, between so, the two. <laughs> <laughs> so should we? Uh, you know what? Uh, that that is a regrettable one. I also sometimes get uh, confused with uh, uh, Corey Horgan and uh, Cole Horgan and Cole Hogan, and there's all sorts of people. <laughs> how about, with how about names Cole Hahn? Cole Hahn is a thing. Never happened yet, but I, you yeah. know, I'm I'm a young man. So I this is so. Uh, <laughs> the, the 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 reference is is to a a a, a, a ardent right wing conservative entrepreneur out of southern alberta that has a, a a tiny little fledgling podcast that welcomed premier kenny um who was willing to grant an interview and it was on that podcast if i remember that he called the governor of michigan brain dead uh who is now uh, determined quite determined to bury the line five pipeline uh yeah. perhaps as a result of what she heard so so y- y- we may be underestimating the power of that podcast it could actually get a very important pipeline canceled yeah, this is the ongoing uh, legacy of Premier Kenny, right? His his verbosity, his his speech has just done nothing but actually hurt Alberta. Uh, he he's been pretending to fight for us, but at the same time, he's just been hurting Albertans uh, by uh, making it easier for the federal government to walk away, or the the American federal government to walk away uh, from Keystone XL, and making it for the states uh, a very easy political. Uh, opportunity to fight him uh, on line nine and and other pipelines that we desperately need. Uh, we're very, very lucky uh, that Justin Trudeau bought uh, TMX and is, is building that uh, for us. Otherwise, we'd be well and truly screwed. 
Yeah, the, the fight back strategy is a little bit like calories from sugar. It, it sounds conceptually great, right? Yeah, we're going to stand up for our industry, uh, but ultimately there's no nutritional value. And it turns out denial is not a very good strategy. W what's ended up happening is we've antagonized groups and we've elevated embarrassments to an international stage. Uh, there are all sorts of whispers in the halls of D.C. about the... Um, you know, the Canadian approach and, and Alberta's approach with this uh, anti-energy campaign strategy that's going on. And uh, who knows if those made their way to Joe Biden. I doubt that uh, Joe Biden was that plugged in and, and figuring out exactly what uh, Alberta was mm -hmm. up to at that time. But certainly some of the people around him are aware of, of this, this kind of campaign of mindlessness where we're, we're taking on uh, opponents of an industry that that uh, that has some real challenges right now. And uh, rather than went fighting back stubbornly, I think we need to be talking about paths forward and, and how we can compromise and how oil can be part of the end of oil, if that makes sense, and, and how we make sure that the transition occurs in a way that, that protects jobs and livelihoods here in Alberta and in all of these energy producing jurisdictions. But instead, we've decided to yell. Uh, we've decided to shout about it. We've decided to hold inquiries. We've decided to create war rooms. And uh, ultimately, even though the $30 million war room gives us sticker shock here in Alberta, and I think rightly so based on what it's managed to produce, that's a drop in the bucket when it comes to advertising. Mm -hmm. $1.7 billion is spent by Kraft on advertising grilled cheese sandwiches. We think $30 million into the pipeline debate is gonna change the conversation. That's laughable. So what is the strategy that's actually going to work here? And how is Alberta going to transition to that next economy? Because let me tell you something, not to, not to get a full on rant going here, but in the 90s when we talked about this, nobody thought we were still gonna be doing oil in 2083. You know, I pick a date because that's uh, that's when my youngest kid is going to retire. What are we going to be doing next? We used to have more conversations about what we're going to do next. And it seems now that people are afraid to because it seems almost un-Albertan to do so. But we have to have a conversation about what comes next in this province. Um, and, and not only a, sh a shitty strategy, but I'll just add very quickly. You don't have to be a, quick. A, a, okay, <laughs> I'll take my time. Uh, uh, but but a, a, a message that we know and a message track that we know fundamentally has not worked for the oil and gas sector for two decades. Mm -hmm. To browbeat people with what you call your version of facts changes literally no one's mind. It entrenches people. It does not work. And I think Jason Kenney is a symptom of that two decade, three decade long approach of just browbeating the crap out of whether it be people who are environmentalists on one end, but also people who were examining the train, trying to make up their mind. And as they started leaning one way, they got, you know, effectively hit on the head saying, you are wrong, here's why you're wrong. That works for nobody. Think about how you make decisions. Think about how you kind of step into this. I know Carter's got an entire presentation he can give us on this if we wanted to go down that path, but this is not how people make decisions. So not only do we have a bad strategy, we've got the wrong message approach. We just have a fundamental misalignment of human psychology and how, how people make decisions. Alongside Jason Kenney's recent tactics, which I call the three S, let's scream, let's sue, and let's have sanctions, makes us look like a character on the international stage of, of a province that is actually much more textured, much more nuanced than our leadership currently is projecting to the rest of the world. Yeah, like Zane, it's not even that it makes us just look angry and just look like we think that bullying is going to work. It also makes it look like we don't understand how anything works. 
No, it, it makes it look like we are not just trying to get our thing, our pipeline built, but that we want a version of society mm -hmm. that is three, four, five decades removed from where we are. And we can get into coal and parks and all the other multi-front wars we're fighting on this province, but they're rooted in that. They're rooted in Jason Kenney looking at Alberta as his Petri dish for ideological ideas that he's been noodling for 30 years uh, to try to, to hit on. And a lot of them are rooted in taking this place back to a, a 1970s, 1960s style approach uh, where the world is not just moving, but COVID has catalyzed how quickly the world is moving. And as COVID has catalyzed how quickly the world is moving, that delta between what we are saying, how we're saying it, and, and who we're talking to becomes wider and wider and wider. Will Munsey's watching and, and he's just wondering, he wants a sort of a, a look into the, the background, kind of the production angle of how we do the show. And he says, so how do you organize it across the screen? He says, do you go from youngest to elderly? Um, and, and so <laughs> most to least handsome is how I see it on my screen. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm okay with either ordering. I'm fine. Yeah. I that can be the median that, guy in either of those. That, that yeah, puts you Corey right Morgan on Morgan in the middle is fine. Right yeah. on the median. Yeah. Corey Morgan in the, in the median. Um, Jess, Jess says you might, says Hogan might also be mistaken. You might also be mistaken. You, 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 you might be forgiven for mistaking him for John Mulaney says he sounds identical to the American comedian. You ever get that Corey? You kind you kind of do. Ironically, he's also just out of rehab. So, oh, goodness, Carter. <laughs> there we are. Uh, uh, Ryan, mark the time. Stephen Carter gets canceled. Stephen Carter, if, if Carter's if Carter's not canceled for half the shit I've seen over the last two years, he's not getting canceled from anything he says on Real Talk. I saw Terry. Terry chimes. I'm invincible. <laughs> Terry says, uh, "Yeah, famous last words." Terry says on our chat. <laughs> Terry says, you 13-year-old, not talking about you guys, she's talking about the real talkers chiming in on the chat. And, and Terry says, you 13-year-olds, you need to, you know, she, you need to get your minds out of the gutter and stop focusing on the microphone. And I'm going, what, what's Terry talking about? So I'm scrolling back. Can, 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 can you put Corey up full screen, Sam? Can we get Corey full screen here? Um, Ken, Ken, said, Ken yeah. says, Corey better not drop the mic today or he'll break his foot. James says, that is the most phallic microphone in podcast history. It's um, uh, it kind of looks better, like it kind of looks like you're standing. It's can we get it back full screen? It kind of looks like you're standing under the tin man. It's, it's uh, you know, it's got character. I was I was trying to really play up this whole podcast thing. You're the only one who gets a hanging dongle of a mic here, Ryan. Is yeah. that what's going on here? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. OK, let's get serious for a second, uh, guys. Uh, there's there's much we do that. I don't know. Uh, there's a we don't have to. I mean, you can take it right <laughs> off. The, you can take it right yeah. off the rails again, if you like. Uh, by the way, we're talking okay. to Zane Velge, uh, Corey Hogan. I have to double think now when I say Corey's name, which Corey is it again? Corey Hogan and Stephen <laughs> Carter of the Strategist podcast. It's it's uh, I think easily one of the best Canadian political podcasts around. And certainly one of the longest running. So I'm going to paraphrase a bunch of these questions because there's a ton along the same lines. Travis asks you, Corey, do you know anything that the prime minister could have done? The liberals could have done that wouldn't have the opposition braying like mules. I mean, if he would have paid more, you know, they'd have a problem with that, too. Other people are saying, boy, Alberta politicians have always been able to gain political favor, political capital by clashing with Ottawa. But have you ever seen it to this extent? I'll throw it to the three of you, starting with you, Corey. Yeah, well, of course, the opposition would be bringing it 
like mules about anything the government would do. They would be a pretty piss poor opposition if they were saying things like, oh, great, great job, Justin Trudeau, let's move on. The role of the opposition is to try to get them to do better and to push them to be stronger and ultimately position yourself to be a better government down the road. And you, you don't usually do that by being the government's hype man frankly. So of course, yeah, they would be uh, they would be kind of foolish if they were saying that the government was doing a good job. But that said, that doesn't mean just because the opposition will always say the government is doing a bad job, that doesn't follow that the government is therefore doing a good job. That's quite the logical leap. And I think it's incumbent upon us as citizens to look at this less like a sports team thing and say, okay, there's some good things that the liberals have done. There's some bad things the liberals have done. Which do I like? Which do I not? How do I hold them accountable to it? Because the alternative also, let me sort of throw that question back. Do you think there's anything this government could do on the bad side that there wouldn't be the same liberal partisans online saying, oh, forget it. It doesn't really matter. What about this with the conservatives? All of the all of the standard, uh, you know, partisan nonsense that we see day in, day out. Um, they're going to fight. We should sit there and be subjective about it. I, I think that we we surrender our will too easily to these political parties, and we surrender our free thought to these political parties too easy. Let's be let's be smart enough and serious enough to say nobody is good all of the time, and nobody is bad all of the time. As far as fighting with Ottawa and whether that's a good strategy, it is a time-tested one here in Alberta. Uh, certainly, I don't think that it's just something the Kenny government did. Obviously, the Notley government knew when they had to put a position of, of distance between the two governments as well. But it's not just an Alberta thing. Provinces everywhere fight with the federal government. The federal government is, is a great opponent because uh, you can sort of rally everybody in the province around the concept. It, it, it works not just here. Zane? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, this this conversation uh, around Kenny and the federal government, uh, Carter uh, likes to call it the concept of fuck your buddy. It's ultimately every single ch chance you get. You I, I got a microphone for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. You, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and here I thought I was on a roll, too. Oh. I was on a roll. So um, we're so professional. No, you're, you're nailing it. You're nailing it, both of you. Uh, you know, it, it is time tested. But there is a cost at some point, which is the boy who cried wolf is eventually going to be a thing for Jason Kenny. The efficacy is going to wear down. Uh, and he's doing it so often that it's so naked to people that it's becoming so obvious to his base that it's now a common escape hatch every single time. Does it work and deflect and change the channel? Sure. But does it come with the long term consequence that people are going to start noticing that this guy takes responsibility for nothing? This guy says nothing is in his purview. Nothing is his responsibility unless it's good. Um, and I think people are starting to see that that strategy so nakedly and obviously put on the table uh, by uh, by uh, Kenny. Yes, Corey, naked and obvious. Once again, a metaphor for you uh, to pick up on however you wish. Um, <laughs> as it relates to the vaccine conversation, there's one additional point I want to bring up, which is one element of it that, that we haven't been talking about as we talk about the arms race on vaccines is the uptick in Canadians. The Angus Reid Institute just did a poll recently on the uptick of Canadians who want the vaccine. And, and Carter talks about this, he's done quite a bit on our podcast about the vaccine scarcity model. The unintended consequence of us not having vaccines is that more Canadians now want the vaccine. That number has been steadily climbing from the mid 60s to now hovering near 80% in that most recent Angus Reid Institute poll. And I'm not saying that this has been strategic by the Trudeau government, but certainly not bad 
uh, as a side effect when we th think about all things considered when this arms race story is behind us to have more and more Canadians that actually want this thing because that public health outcome, you know, outside of yeah, all yeah, the yeah. Sh shade but, of but the saying that's like we want. Your, your pants fall down and you say, how convenient. I was just going to go to the bathroom. Like this is <laughs> yeah, not an intended strategy. No, no, I'm not, and that's why they're not leveraging it. They're not leveraging. It. It's not like the Trudeau government has pivoted their message to by the way, like here's the upside, but I'm just trying to make the point that this is something that's happening in, in the shadows, so to speak. No, I'm really grateful that you've been able to summarize episodes 906, 907, 912, 914 for the listeners of the Jesperson podcast and taking all of my greatest hits and giving them back I, to the Jesperson audience. I literally said I'm, I would do I'm that. really thankful for that because that gives the Jesperson audience the opportunity to kind of see, you know, where the intelligence of our podcast comes from. I mean, Mr. Fallis over here is, is going to try and point out uh, kind of the political elements, but I'm really getting to the, the psychological components. And the psychological components are the pieces that Kenny's missing uh, when he does this. He's not understanding the long-term impacts of constantly saying that it's Trudeau, it's Trudeau, it's Trudeau. Um, there is a long-term price that he's going to pay for that. Uh, this is nowhere near the biggest fight with the, with the federal government in Alberta's history. I would argue that the National Energy Program, 1981 to 1984, Peter Lougheed uh, absolutely fought uh, tooth and nail with, uh, with Pierre Elliott Trudeau and the, and, and the government there to try and, and fix um, the, the situation for Alberta. And then in came a new government with, with Mulroney. Is that later? Anyways, it doesn't matter. What matters is there was a, a big fight. And by 1986, Lougheed was out. Lahid, the, 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 the premier that couldn't lose, the premier that represented Alberta as best anybody did, um, arguably he left on his own terms, but at the same time he had to leave. It was the end of his reign because he spent a tremendous amount of capital fighting with Trudeau and fighting with the federal government. You can fight with the federal government. You can fight your municipality with the provincial government, as Don Scott is when he talked on your show, Ryan, the other day. But that's not... A, a, a winning recipe because it, it uses capital. It does not build capital. It does not show your own leadership skills. It just tears down at the other guy. And Jason Kenney has shown almost no ability to build his own capital within, uh, within Alberta pol politics of late. Some random guy says uh, it's amazing to hear more from Zane, uh, who's typically the moderator on the strategists. Uh, to be honest, half the reason why I listen to their podcast is because they're all so mean to each other. Um, Rose Rose says, I cannot keep my eyes off Corey's mic. Rose is having a tough time with the mic. Uh, this is an interesting question from David. David wonders, do these three think that the backtracking, I mean, you guys just mentioned coal and parks a couple of minutes ago. Um, the UCB has walked back the coal plan after outrage. And I think it's, it's I'm curious to pick your brains on a government using outrage as the metric for when it walks something back or, or when it consults for that matter. Uh, but they've walked back coal, at least for now. They've, they've walked back a plan on parks, at least for now. Although I think a lot of people are right to be suspicious and, and, and wonder what's actually going to happen here on these files. Has it woken people up, uh, Carter? Well, I think it has woken them up. I mean, outrage, it's one thing to to be upset about a government decision in healthcare, but if it doesn't immediately impact you, you go about your regular day and that outrage fades for the next outrage, you become outraged about something else. Um, the Parks decision and the Coal decision uh, are two decisions that have 
um, kind of grabbed the public attention and they, they've landed as a one-two punch. Uh, so the outrage from Parks grew as the coal decision was being announced. Um, and I think that right now the next outrage is going to be outrage with a lack of understanding of what it is that the provincial government is actually doing. I mean, for, for Jason Kenney last week to say that he had not rescinded the policy, I mean, that was just a blatant lie. Um, he was trying to use synonyms to try and uh, get around uh, what he'd actually done, which is a load of absolute crap. The man uh, was lying to our faces, and he sent out his energy minister to try and clean up the mess that he made. Uh, and now we're not even sure that the mess is cleaned up. I think that this is the lack of trust um, from Albertans to this government is, is now something that will define the future for the government. Because if Kenny says one thing, there's absolutely no reason to believe him. The only thing, uh, like, what hasn't he lied about in the last few months? What has he not uh, brought to our attention that has been 100% uh, false? Um, and so that undermines the government. And these little, these little pieces add up over time. You can't just continually you know, lie one after the other, after the other, after the other, without having a long-term impact. Uh, and the, the breakdown of trust, I think, is going to be uh, terminal for Kenny. Um, if he doesn't start to figure things out, uh, really, in the next couple of days or weeks, because his next budget, um, if, if he continues down the path that I think he's going to go down, the next outrage is only two weeks away. Well, Carter's totally right about the the stacking challenge that Jason Kenney has at this point. The the Parks thing was boneheaded and deeply unpopular. And, I, you know, if you walked around my neighborhood here in Calgary, I live in Crescent Heights, you would think that Defend Alberta Parks was a political party and it was about to have a landslide. Um, but now you're stacking on the coal thing on top and that starts to become not a one-off, but a trend. And it tells you something about these individuals and it builds within the public a sense that they are always going to do things like this. And in fact, Carter sort of fell to that as well by saying that it's been terrible. There's been nothing done right in the past month and it's been a horrible month, but I, there's never a month in government where there's not some good going on somewhere. It's just being overwhelmed by all of the bad, but the budget really is the next flashpoint. When name you it, get to name the good thing, Corey. Name oh, I the couldn't one possibly. I don't know. I'd have to go through the OCs I, I asked, for like an hour. But, I asked on Twitter to give me one good thing. Yeah, that's Twitter a great, everything. that's a great model. Don't start. The, the people on Twitter, the people listening to you right now, Mr. Fallis. So here's the thing. I got one good thing. And that was the, uh, the privatization of driver's licenses exams. That's and that happened at Isn't the beginning great? of the tenure. The, uh, one good thing. That's the uh, February 25th, though, is the budget, and this is a big moment. Uh, we know Jason Kenney is facing pressure from Albertans. We know he's facing pressure from his caucus. Budgets have to make decisions, and uh, you could really see things uh, being exacerbated and kicked off in a big way uh, when this thing drops in the House on Thursday, February 25th. Mark your calendars. I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to sort out. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what this comment is from Tracy on our live chat. She just posts a bunch, a pic, a, a bunch of of eggplants i'm not sure what she's trying to say does anybody know what what that may be meaning um uh, well big morgan's gonna get lucky tonight yeah. is what's gonna happen um i got a question i got a question here from chris uh, i want to get to that in just a second fellas you have time you have 90 seconds to top up your coffees because we want to remind our audience this morning that this show is uh, proudly presented in part by our partners at kubi energy uh kubi energy is uh, doing remarkable work on solar installation and integration in west Canada, in particular, BC and Alberta. 
all of their installers are certified electricians or electrician apprentices. It means that they're not using subcontractors on your home. You can have confidence in the job that they're doing. They're also helping you tap into this new uh, have you seen this program for businesses across Alberta? The ability to install solar panels, complete energy efficiency measures with 25% off the tab. This is all part of this new commercial grant and Kubi manages all the paperwork for you. They're one of the most experienced commercial solar contractors in Alberta. You want to see their work, go see a shot of the Edmonton Convention Center. They did an amazing installation there. And of course, Kubi presents positive reflections. If you have a good news story, we want you to email it to us or a beautiful photo maybe how you're making the most out of this cold talk at ryanjesperson.com that's coming up on monday also wanted to give a big shout out to the team at saint albert and sherwood dodge their 2021 jeep lineup has everybody talking and they've got the best selection of jeep and dodge ram trucks in the province of alberta they've got that fuel efficient jeep compass the seven passenger grand cherokee that's my personal vote for best bang for buck suv in the market right now and of course the grand wagoneer which is coming out a little later on this year keep your eye out for that at st albert and sherwood dodge and sam you know what i'm calling for right now take a look at this everybody if you're in the other room and you have real talk up on your big screen it's time to go check out what sam brooks is going to put up right now ladies and gentlemen our friends at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park are super excited to have you covered for valentine's day michael lieber who owns a couple of those dairy queens popped by the Real Talk studio yesterday, all masked up and hooked us up with a couple of these cakes. Sam, your initial review, your initial thought? Like Kelly and I got like a third of the way through it. I want to say it's delicious. It's unbelievable, right? We we sat and and watched the Raptors game and then the Oilers game and just kind of love it. Did Went just, at this cake with two forks. You didn't. Yeah. I was gonna say you didn't cut it we into pieces, it. No. did you? There's no need for that. No. Can we take another look at it now? Now, Michael told me this one. Now you can't tell through all the beautiful decor, the decorations there, but this is the choco cherry love version. There's three of them that you can get into. It's basically a blizzard for two. That's what this is. This Valentine's special, and they're making it available to you for sixteen forty nine all the way through till Valentine's Day. That's Sunday. Don't blow it at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton. And Sherwood Park. All right, back to our panelists here on the Friday Roundtable. Together, collectively, they are the strategists. It's one of Canada's best podcasts. It's hey guys, I've never told you this actually, and Carter's going to think I'm fucking with him, but I'm actually being serious. It is the first podcast I ever subscribed to, uh, and sincerely, I listen to it every week. Oh, right on, and, and I love the takes. Uh, this one from Chris, um, Sam. You can still see my screen, right? I'm going to call something up for you here. Take a look at this, fellas. This is the first that anybody but a judge is going to see. I've just received this uh, from Mayor Don Scott's office with the Regional Municipality of Wood Buffalo. Um, uh, this is a sworn affidavit from a fire chief. This one from Jody Butts. This is going in front of the courts as we speak. As a matter of fact, uh, the Regional Municipality of Wood Buffalo will be in front of a judge at 10 o'clock today. Uh, this after Alberta Health Services has sought an affidavit to force the municipality to bring its 911 service back in line with AHS. They say they're not going to do it. Corey, is it the right move? Chris is wondering, watching in, he says, is the mayor blowing it or is, or is he doing something smart here? Well, the municipalities um, are in a, between a rock and a hard place because, of course, you've got a, a government that provides them so much funding and so much goodwill. And you've got a public who is rightly concerned about the services and saying, rescue 911, right? You've got to go out there and you've got to bring these services back back home. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, 
time will be told, will tell. Like there were a lot of these anxieties also occurred when um, when AHS centralized a lot of the services back in uh, you know the the 2000s. But uh, ultimately, once uh, the hiccups were worked out, uh, it, it became probably a more efficient system. Now the problem is those hiccups mean lives, and there is no tolerance for hiccups at this point. And the uh, the EMS service transition has not been particularly smooth, and we're seeing a lot of angst from across the province. Just added to the pile of things that are perhaps unnecessary fights. When you look at the um, the efficiencies being driven, the money being saved, if you want to think about it in those terms, uh, I just can't imagine it's worth it. And that's that's largely true of things like the parks and the coal decision as well. I, I have a real hard time understanding the priority setting uh, decisions of this government. You- and, it's, I, and I think this kind of speaks to the nature of this government. This is what I mentioned earlier. This is a Petri dish for Jason Kenney to do ideological things, big and small, based on his little experiments and his past proclivities. This is this is an extension of that. They're doubling down on this, not because necessarily it's gonna save a ton of money, but because this is ideologically the remake Jason Kenney wanted for this province. And stuff like this, stuff like called this 19 front war that he's fighting, a lot of it is deliberate. You know, a lot of it is stuff yeah. he wanted to fight as part of his remake. So Zane, you know, I, I, I wanna back that up a bit. One of the strangest things that happened in my time in government, I ran communications for the government under both premiers Notley and Kenny, is uh, when Notley was premier, the the NDP government banned door-to-door salesmen, furnace salesmen, because what was happening is there was a lot of abusive elders, there was pressure sales tactics, and uh, and people were being stuck with massive bills for things that they didn't need. And this happened sometime in December. It was around Christmas. It was, I think it was December 1st-ish. Uh, so the, the government posts on social media were banning this. By far the most popular social media post on a policy the government had ever put out. Uh, what normally happens is the big posts in government tend to be the things like, take care of people over the holidays. Here are the, you know, here are the crisis lines, because those are things everybody can get behind. But when you post a policy under a government account, you don't normally get that kind of engagement. But thousands of engagements, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands. And uh, I remember Jason Kenney came out shortly thereafter and he said how outrageous that uh, the NDP would uh, would get in the way of free enterprise in this way and I remember thinking like holy cow like you know this is not about popularity we know what the popular move is here this is about ideology and this this idea that you would put any restraints on the free market whatsoever and I was really struck by that and it made me sort of appreciate that that Jason Kenney's got this massive blind spot because he does truly truly believe in these free market beliefs with no adulteration whatsoever and you're starting to see that here in Alberta. And I just, I don't believe Albertans are those people. I think Albertans want reasonable limits on things like that. And he's willing to burn political capital on it. That's what's interesting to me, that for the smallest things, he's willing to burn disproportionate political capital. So if there's one thing I'm confused about, it's not the prioritization. I think we've teased out where that's coming from. It's why burn so much political capital on this when your reelection looks so tenuous right now. Like even with a two-party structure, uh, it's looking like it's it's touch and go for Jason Kenney. Maybe he's taken for granted how strong he is, but I find that to be the conf- uh, confusing part in, in, from my perspective. Well, and you, uh, you, you probably is- have to look. Sorry to interrupt, Carter. I'll get out of the way here in a second. But like you, you look at sort of how 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 Kenny has 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 forged his political career. I mean, there's there's a, a remarkable uh, bit of long form reporting. We saw a, a piece in National Observer this week and then and Jason Mark Yusof, uh in McLean's just the other day. And both of them go deep. Uh, the one the piece in National Observer in particular talks about his time at this Jesuit college back in San Francisco, like bullying college administrators. The fact that they allowed, uh, you know, a pro-choice group onto campus. Kenny goes after the college to have its Catholic designation pulled like he's always been this kind of a guy. 
right? You know, uh, I go on with Charles Adler a couple weeks before the the provincial election. I talk about how he's got to get rid of Mark Smith as a candidate in Drayton Valley because he says gay love isn't real love. What does Jason Kenney do in response to it? Tells his entire caucus they can't come on my radio show. Like all the guy knows is flamethrower, crush the ant, wield the big hammer. And when people start to see you for a bit of a jerk or, or maybe not a bit of one, then all of a sudden you're in a tenuous position. Carter, would you agree? Yeah, totally. I mean, when you start to dislike the person who's in the office, you can walk away from them. Alison Redford went through the same thing. Ed Stelmack was never particularly well liked. Uh, that That is the thing that really brings governments down. Uh, Jim Prentice, when he told us to look in the mirror, you know, that was something that really offended us and upset us. We were angry. And that's what Jason Kenney does all the time. And not only that, with Don Scott and the, and the municipal mayors, he's actually modeling the behavior that you know, Don Scott's using, you know, fight with the level above you is a tried and true uh, political government governing strategy. And he's saying essentially to Don Scott, have at her, I'm going to give you this thing to beat me about the head with um, all the way through uh, the next year. And this is just the beginning. I mean, we've already started to talk about the, the February 25th uh, budget. Do you think the municipal grants are going to stay at the same levels um, in the next budget? They're not. Don Scott, Nahad Nenshi, Don Iveson, all the municipal mayors, AUMA is going to have a, a field day going after this government. And it doesn't matter if they were ideologically opposed or ideologically aligned uh, when they started this election campaign or this, this government of Jason Kenney. Um, they are now in their own campaigns and they are going to come after Jason Kenney because that's the winning strategy that Jason Kenney himself is modeling with Jason Kenny taught them. It's like those old commercials. Like I learned it from you, dad. I learned it from you. If you're going to fight with the order of government that, that you interact with, that's quote unquote above you uh, all of the time, then don't, and it's a successful strategy. Don't be surprised if it's deployed against you. And uh, Mm -hmm. what is really fascinating about this moment is that municipalities who are much more beholden to the provinces than the provinces are to the federal government have decided yeah, fuck it. Like this, this is what we're going to do. This is where my people want me to be. This is what I've got to stand for. And, um, and what, it, what blows my mind, normal. Corey, is that this isn't like, it's not the mayor of, uh, you know, it's not the mayor of Edmonton or it's not the, you know, the, these are like conservative hotbeds. Like yeah. when, when I get Craig Snodgrass, the mayor of high river to come on and say, Jason Kenny's full of shit, like on the record, yeah. that's remarkable. Oh, you, it would be unthinkable in the 90s or the 2000s under Klein. You would never see a mayor doing that. You wouldn't see the mayor of Calgary or Edmonton, which in theory mm-hmm. had a little bit more heft. Uh, the, um, there, there's been a bit of a disconnect uh, between Kenny and his conservative base. And I think this is one of the big challenges that he's going to have to reconcile in the next six months or, or else things do not get better for him one way or the other. Fellas, let and, me put- and you see, you see, no, go ahead, you see very quickly, right? Like two points. Number one, the Nathan Cooper letter that got leaked i think it needs to be talked about and recirculated in conversation as to some of the fractures within the the caucus there within the party i guess because being being the speaker uh nathan cooper is he going to be the next premier maybe maybe not but man oh man does that say something as to where the the current sort of state of leadership for jason kenny resides and secondly to add a finer point to what Corey and stephen are saying watch this in the municipal elections across this province you are going to see candidates on mass in areas that you call conservative hotbeds, conservative hotspots, running against Jason Kenney. Jason Kenney is on the ballot in this municipal election. Do not make any mistake about it. And you are going to see municipal candidates ranging from the south all the way to the north 
in one way, shape or form running against him and his policies uh, to try to get elected themselves, because it's it's really uh, an election, not just on your municipal candidates, but outright the relationship that you have with your provincial government. I'm taking a look here. I'm, I'm, I'm on uh, edmonton.ctvnews.ca. Uh, the photo is actually courtesy of Post Media. This is uh, reportedly a letter from the speaker, the Honorable Nathan Cooper, MLA out of Olds, Didsbury, Three Hills, a letter to a constituent. You can see there that so many of my colleagues, quote, that so many of my colleagues chose otherwise, talking about avoiding unnecessary international travel, should be of great embarrassment to the government, especially Premier Jason Kenney, who chose not to sanction these officials and staff members until he was prompted to do so by widespread public outrage. The hypocrisy of this scandal has clearly undermined this government's moral authority and the government now faces an uphill battle in rebuilding the public trust that's been lost. That's something you'd expect to hear from Rachel Notley, not Nathan Cooper. 100%. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. you know, Cooper is an interesting position. He's the speaker. Jason Kenney has less ability to just turf him, but that makes him a perfect candidate to be the thin edge of the wedge. He has the freedom to say a little bit more than his colleagues. And when he says it, all of a sudden they feel free to say it and allows him to go a little bit further. And you're starting to see this. You're starting to see this slow piling on from behind his own front to use yet another war metaphor here. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, um, Jason Kenney's got to watch out. He's between a rock and a hard place. The rock is a a caucus that is uh, really diverse. That's part of why the PCs and the Wild Rose were separate parties at one point. Let's never forget that. There was a there was a reason for the division, and uh, and then a public which is increasingly moderate. Alberta is an increasingly cosmopolitan, dynamic place. the The demographics of this province are not what people outside this province think of. Uh, Calgary is about forty percent visible minority population at this point. Like it's not even really a minority population and um jason kenny is playing a different game he's playing the game that was used in the 70s the 80s the 90s and i just don't know if it's going to work i got this interesting take from ken on the live chat he says i'm actually going to defend Corey." he says i'm starting to wonder um if that's actually like a periscope and and he he seems to see a lot of things unfolding when he raises that thing and and looks out <laughs> a, a periscope perhaps um let me let me talk about budget. Let me ask you this, because we've got a lot of people chiming in, including Les Landry. Uh, Les is is a, a citizen activist. Uh, you can check out his hashtag people against poverty. Uh, he says people with disabilities are really worried about this budget. H seems like a good target for this premier. Uh, the stress of people on H is not healthy for people or for the community. Katriana says as a person with a disability, I'm dreading this budget. The government's already sending H letters asking people to prove that their disabilities are still there. Uh, says it's unbelievable. Um, Troy says when the budget comes out, cleaning up the mess left by the NDP is going to be a phrase that'll be repeated every 10 seconds. I wouldn't try to trot that out. Corey, you've been involved in government messaging. You public affairs bureau. You ran the thing. Uh, at what point does a government need to stop blaming things on the previous government? Well, they never really do. Yeah. Uh, the point where they should is probably around this point. It's the two-year mark where where I think that the public generally starts to say, okay, but you've been in the seat for a while and my patience is running thin. And um, yeah, I, I would be concerned if I was any kind of program and maybe not even so much for the next fiscal year, but governments have three-year projections when they draw budgets and, and you start to see what those out years look like. And 2023 looms. And one of the things that the Kenny government is going to want to show, at least in the financial statements and start working towards, is uh, either zero deficit or a much lower deficit with some excuses as to why there's a deficit. And that's, an, you know, inherently that's going to require some some decisions to be made. And if those decisions aren't going to be on increasing revenue, i.e. tax increases, then it's going to be on cuts. It's going to be on reductions of spending. And certainly what you saw 
earlier, I mean, COVID has just thrown everything up in the air, but the McKinnon report, uh, their, their report looking into the fiscal structure of, uh, of the province, identified all of these areas where Alberta was purportedly an outlier in spending. They're going to be using that. They'll wave that around. They'll try to drive down spending in certain areas with that. And, uh, and ultimately, they also, they, they, will, they will try to find other savings where they can along the way. The nickels and the dimes, which are costing them so much right now, as we've talked about with uh, decisions like the coal one. But yeah, I, I mean, budgets are chock full of decisions and they are not always apparent from the documents themselves because they just don't go into that kind of detail. Uh, you're going to start seeing the consequences of it, though, as letters get given to civil society groups and universities and calls with mayors occur. And there's going to be a lot of changes because there has to be. But the type of change that Jason Kenney has in mind might not be the type of change that his caucus wants or that Albertans want. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be, there's definitely going to be a situation where Jason Kenney is taking hundreds of dollars out of the pockets of the disabled and, and unable to work in order to put thousands of dollars into the pockets of corporations that um, don't need it. This is the the great challenge that he's that he's done so far. He's reshaping our society by putting, uh, you know, by changing the way that we think of uh, corporate welfare. Uh, he's a you know he he campaigned against corporate welfare and he's jumped all over it. He's giving uh, corporations a, a tremendous leg up, um, and it's not paying dividends. You know he he told us that we would have jobs. He told us that he would improve the economy. He told us he would get pipelines. He's a giant failure, and he's going to now he's going to take it out. I think the disabled advocates, uh, poverty advocates, are completely right. The people who are most at risk in a Jason Kenney environment are those who are least able to defend themselves. Yeah, and I, I think this conversation around the cloud cover he's already had, the blue ribbon commissions on mass that have been done in the first couple of years, now give him the cloud cover to, to talk about expenditures. Uh, the big thing Corey mentioned that I would look for is, is there going to be any, anything to do with revenue? And I think I would be, a, if I'm a betting man, the answer is probably going to be no, which means that these cuts are going to be deep. Their cuts are going to be perhaps even deep and wide, uh, which means that he's going to try to, uh, give sharp elbows to several different verticals or several different columns in this in this budget, uh, which means you have a lot of people complaining, which kind of in some ways from a strategy level kind of disassociates with a one or two focal points as to what this budget really um, drills deep on, which I think he's counting on as, as the toughest budget he has to deliver just yet. Does anybody have to be, uh, th this is not a microphone joke, does anybody have a hard out at 10 o'clock or is there, are we able to uh, stay like five minutes after? Yeah, we can do five. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. just five minutes, because I want to ask you about two things. I want to ask you about Alberta's upcoming municipal elections, and then I want to close. Uh, uh, president, uh, Former President uh, Donald Trump's defense team is about to begin their arguments in about four hours from now with regards to his second. <laughs> Look at Carter. He's just like ready to go. His second impeachment trial. Uh, well, what, fuck. Why do we go to that? And then we'll we'll wind up on municipal elections, because you guys have obviously had a ton of experience in those as well. Zane, everybody sees the Nenshi artwork there right beside you. Um, uh, Carter, what's going to happen with, with with uh, former reality TV star Donald Trump? Uh, nothing. Uh, he's not going to be convicted in the Senate, but he will continue uh, to be made to look the fool. Um, I think that that's the most damaging part right now. Uh, the, the Democrats have presented a compelling case. Uh, they've done so in a fashion that is is professional. Uh, it is well considered and well thought through. And the uh, Trump team, Trump, Trump's advantage has always been there's been a willing audience. There's been a group of people who want to hear what he says, uh, and they will believe virtually, I mean, virtually anything that the man says. The challenge that he has now is the lawyers that are representing him are, are so inept that even the willing audience of the Trumpers looks at it and says, 
seriously, dude, we need to get better people here. This is not good enough. And so these guys, in the, they, they are a clown car on fire, and they continue to represent the, the clown in chief, the former clown in chief, uh, tremendously poorly. And um, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing their case get unfolded because it is basically going to be a shit show and it will not influence any of the senators. We know how this is going to end. Donald Trump will not be impeached uh, or will not be convicted in the Senate and uh, he'll face no sanctions. So um, this, this is hilarious to me. Yeah, it seems really unlikely it's going to result in anything except him walking free. And that disappoints me because he's a is a monster in ways big and small. But uh, if there is going to be a silver lining here and I look for one, it's probably that the case from the Democrats, which was very compelling and which the Republican senators had to sit through, they didn't have the option of not. Um, hopefully it gives them small pauses. Hopefully it makes them think about things slightly different down the road and maybe they're not going to run away from Donald Trump, but maybe they're not gonna run towards him so quickly next time. And maybe they're a little more leery about it because their own personal safety was uh, was under assault and self-interested people being what they are, maybe that will matter to them. Now, um, it, the idea that 11 of 44 uh, votes that were not there previously are going to show up and, and vote to convict Donald Trump, is it's just not going to happen. But it is possible that there is still some good to come out of this. Maybe they'll decide to censure Donald Trump, which is a much, much lower penalty. It really doesn't matter at all. But, it, you know, I guess I'll take a slap on the wrist against nothing at all. And, um, and maybe people will drift further away from the former president. But that's the most we can hope coming out of this uh, impeachment trial at this point, unless the defense really somehow blows it, like you know, stands up there and starts sweating and saying, I'm trying to defend the indefensible or God, they almost did that bad in the opening. Which, so it, which is not out of the realm of yeah. possibility. Let's be totally clear. <laughs> I mean, that was that was one standard deviation away from standing in front of Four Seasons Total Landscaping uh, with your pants down, which is uh, which is pretty much what that opening was. I'll add one final thing. I don't want to repeat anything Stephen and, uh, and Corey have said. Republicans have 74 million reasons why not to proceed with the impeachment. They want perhaps Trump out, but they certainly want his voters. So if you're a Hawley or if you're a Cruz, if you're someone like that with presidential ambitions, you don't want to alienate the folks that have drank the Trumpism Kool-Aid uh, as you start building up your political career, or political prospects, whether that be in, in two, four, eight years, however long down the road. Uh, Peter wonders, how is it possible? How is it even possible that the strategists crush real talk so much harder than their appearances on the CBC that from Peter a uh, very very astute Peter with a very astute observation <laughs> Carter looks well, a little Corey's not allowed to, Corey's not allowed to bring that mic so it starts yeah that's that. it starts with the mic yeah. this is where my power comes from <laughs> yeah that's right uh, so let me let me wind with this uh, and we can't wait for your next appearance here on the show we're already looking forward to it uh, Zane we'll start with you you're the guy that got Ned Nenshi elected down in Calgary you ran that inspiring campaign um, Calgary's gonna now I'm so self-conscious about war metaphors but Calgary's gonna be a real battleground Edmonton's gonna be a real battleground Don Iveson's announced he's not seeking re-election uh we're, we're seeing some really interesting races unfold what do you make of and if you'd like to expand it beyond Alberta's two biggest cities please feel free what are you expecting this fall yeah I so I, in 2017 I had the chance to run Nahed's re-election campaign which as much as I wish was inspiring, was a tough drag. It was a actually, and, I, and the re, there's a reason I mentioned this, was that from a narrative standpoint, from a vote standpoint, from a vitriol standpoint, it was something else. It was the fake news, the bots, the trolls, all that sort of stuff was on 10 
highest volume level. I feel like we're now entering an era where we're going to see even more division, even more uh, splitting, even more wedging of political issues. And I think that's going to be the, the the tapestry, especially in our two major cities, that are that is going to perhaps present how we see the the, the ne- this next campaign. I expect that to continue, and I also expect many people to choose Jason Kenney as their opponent, especially if we're seeing municipal, especially if we're seeing pr- province-wide plebiscites on things that we've heard regarding, you know, fair deals, et cetera. Expect Jason Kenney to be on the ballot, perhaps in more than one way, uh, metaphorically. And I think that's going to be quite consistent across the board. Corey? Yeah, the, the money going into these campaigns, the growing lack of decorum, the, the deeply polarized times we find ourselves in, council votes are very much so in, in uh, Edmonton and increasingly so in Calgary, divided on you know un, unspoken but clear partisan lines. And you're going to see an awful lot more of that going forward. And as this becomes a little bit more sports team-like, you're going to start seeing some of the same bad behavior you see at the provincial and the federal level. And this has happened in other major centers. In some ways, Calgary and Edmonton have been fortunate outliers in the Canadian context. We don't have these these political parties at our municipal level. Uh, but I think that time is coming. I think with that comes a lot of baggage. It's not all bad. Certainly you'll get a better sense of who you're voting for. Sometimes we've had some very strange councillors slip in in both cities, but you know, it's going to be a different game. It's going to be a very different situation. And I think this could be a bit of a watershed election. The fact that we're already seeing all of these people jumping into the race so bloody early and we're seeing all of this money already floating about is... Um, I think it's a it's a bit of a wake up call for Albertans. Carter, and this is going to be the election where we talk about referenda too. I mean, yeah. uh, Jason Kenney's going to put some big ideas on the table uh, and try and use this as the beginning of his reelection campaign. So, um, you know, 2010 brought us 2012. You know, 2017. Uh, you know, in some ways, brought us 2019. The, the 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 municipal election is the unofficial kickoff now, whether we like it or not. Um, to the the larger discussion about what provincial politics looks like. Uh, so the referendum questions, especially around uh, issues like the P- Alberta Provincial Police Force or Alberta pensions, uh, the fair deal for Alberta will be matched by the fair deal for cities. Uh, these referenda questions are going to be um, big, significant issues, and there's going to be lots of PACs and lots of PAC money uh, thrown around to to help decide what the the outcome of those questions looks like. Got an interesting uh, text here from Lisa Holmes, who's watching, uh, former president of the AUMA, former, uh, you guys know Lisa, obviously, former mayor of Morneville. She says, wouldn't it be interesting if the Wood Buffalo situation with 911 dispatch Mayor uh, Don Scott, by the way, Richard chimed in. Richard said Red Deer stands with Mayor Scott in Fort McMurray. Um, Back to former Mayor Holmes. uh, She says, wouldn't it be interesting if the Wood Buffalo situation created a conversation about emancipation of municipalities in general, a constitutional change to remove the provincial parent relationship has always been a dream of the Federation of Canadian municipalities, and there might be more public support for it now. Uh, Anybody want a quick hit on that before we sign off? Well, I mean, you have to have issues that the general population cares about, and I just can't see them caring. Um, This is absolutely uh, an opportunity to create uh, new cities, but like the the city charters for the big cities has been a discussion point for over a decade, and we're not even close to it. So I can't see um, Lisa's smart. Lisa's got the right ideas, but I don't know how to get the population excited about it. 
the strategists uh, every single week are, are pushing out a podcast that is certainly worthy of your subscription. Make sure you rate it. Make sure you leave a comment. Make sure you tell your friends about it. And fellas, we very much look forward to your next appearance here on Real Talk. Some people are calling for it weekly, but uh, we'll have to see. We might have to play let's it. Let's not cool. go crazy. Let's Ryan. not. Let's not Ryan, go crazy. Let's not go crazy. Let's not kiss okay. on the first date. All right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do we hear? Did I hear someone in the background? Is there? Yeah, you you know the kid I referenced who was going to retire in twenty eighty three just ran by. Yeah, are um, they? Is there? Is there? How does the family feel about putting kids on camera? Can, can, yeah. Oh, already gone. He's like, okay. listen, he moves too fast for that. You're never going to catch that guy. <laughs> okay. But uh, listen, uh, also make sure you tune in to hear a great uh, Carter impersonation impersonation of you, Jesperson, uh, oh. this week on the Strategist in can the first three minutes. Can we hear it, Carter? I haven't heard this one yet. <laughs> no. Do do it live. Do it live. Do it live. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'd really like to bring your attention to this coffee mug. It's available uh, at thebigsteak.ca. You can buy strategists.com mugs right here at the big steak. Reach out to Edwin. Edwin's my guy. You call Edwin. Edwin is going to get you. He's going to hook you up with this mug. This mug, it is 16 ounces of pure joy. I'll tell you that right now. 16 ounces of pure joy. You pick up the phone. You call my boy Edwin. TheBigSteak.ca. He's got you. He's going to set you up. You you, you that. It's all right. That's not bad. That's, that's not bad. That's Stephen Carter. That's Corey Hogan. And Hogan. that's <laughs> Hogan. And that's Zane Velge. And together, this trio of beauties is or are, no, is the strategist. Gentlemen, thank you for this. Have an amazing weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you Thanks very much, Ryan. Right See you later. Wow. Uh, that was one of the quickest and best hours I think that we've seen on this show. Sam Brooks, can I even put you on camera? Are I you, don't. I don't know if I could handle that weekly. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like know if that just, might be. Oh, ooh. that was way too much fun. I I love it when we have fun on Fridays. I love it, it when we have fun on Fridays. Yeah, but you know what? Great. And, and I want to give it. You know, I I have to I have to acknowledge that on the live chat on shows like this where it's really booming, um, we're seeing some of your comments, and I try to scribble down your names, and I and I and but sometimes I miss the names, but I remember the sentiment of the comment. And one of the comments that I saw through this interview about a half an hour ago, uh, somebody said this is the funniest and best most serious conversation that i've ever heard on politics and i thought that that was a perfect way to characterize it uh hilarious and serious at the same time uh nick says yeah that was absolutely wild um brenda says the big steak should be big mike and a bunch of you like penny said penny says okay i want a mug um chaotic kitty says uh, chaotic kitty cat says sometimes i'm not a cat you're i'm here your honor i'm ready to, i'm not a cat chaotic kitty cat says suddenly i have the urge to call edwin for a mug um, uh and crazy james says speaking of jespo merch when can we expect some i'm so excited to make an announcement right now I'm so excited to make two announcements right now. Number one, on Tuesday, February 16th, this coming Tuesday uh, at 830 Mountain Time, RyanJesperson.com. I'm not going to say it right now. As a matter of fact, what the backslash is, because I don't want you checking it out because it's under construction. Um, uh, and, and I don't know how the Internet works. And maybe the, the web team might be building it right now. And then people go in there and start messing around. And the next thing you know, you look like Mike Nichols mayoral campaign. Everybody's in the back door of your website. Um, but uh, on Tuesday at RyanJesperson.com, we will be uh, uh, posting our our new job listing. 
And so uh, we're going to tell you more about that on Tuesday morning. We are hiring here at Real Talk. Thank you to our friends, uh, the Real Talkers that support us every month uh, with a five dollar donation. Some of you give more than that. I mean, some of you are, are donating twenty five bucks a month. We're so grateful for it. And we're getting set to roll out some really cool things for our Patreon subscribers. You are the reason why we are able to bring in a new team member. So on Tuesday, we'll be making an announcement about that hire. I'm also excited to tell you that our Patreon subscribers will be receiving some pretty Pretty cool stuff, uh, including access to information that's not available to the general public. What am I talking about with that? Well, if you participate in our question of the week, um, this is at RyanJesperson.com, right across the top of the page at question of the week. You may wonder what happens with all of the data that's compiled. We receive it in the form of what's called a top line report. The team at Y Station, they're our official research and strategy partners. They put a ton of work into crunching the numbers. It's a scientific survey. I mean, this is this is evidence. Uh, this is this is data based uh, conclusions that we come to here on the show is what I'm trying to say. We take a look at at, at on average what, you know, between twelve hundred and, and our, our highest response has been forty five hundred of you in one week have responded to our survey. We get statistical data. We get a sense of who's watching the show, what cities you're watching from what provinces in some cases what countries we get a look at like a deep dive into the percentages i mean how many of you are ticked off about this how many of you feel strongly about this how many of you couldn't possibly care less about this and then we get all the comments all the long form comments well starting next week our Patreon subscribers will have exclusive access to the Y Station top line report. You'll be able to go through page after page of it and get a re- this is unprecedented access. Uh, Ipsos, Angus Reed, they're not releasing data like like five pages at a time or 10 pages at a time uh, to, to supporters. This is a really neat opportunity to get a sense of where your fellow Albertans are at. And to answer your question on merch, I am thrilled to tell you i can't show it to you yet uh, because our patreon subscribers are going to have first access to pre-order options but we have designed and we have placed the order for our first round of real talk merch the coffee mugs are incredible they're beautiful they're the type of it's not like one of these mugs you know sam you get for free from like your realtor or something like no offense to realtors but you know what i'm saying everybody has the coffee mug that they look at they go yeah i i got a a from an undisclosed business was given a free mug one time and one dishwasher cycle the logo was like disintegrated yeah like it didn't wash off it just was unreadable and shifted around and, and then it was you're just not like gonna, holy like, that's a she- cheap mug you're not gonna wake up on a sunday morning and, and use that mug no. if it looks all lousy you want a mug that like that's that's great that's fun to hold like like uh, like Corey's like quality Mike. Jespa mug like Corey's mic you want something you can just wrap your hand around and just hold it you know what I mean and so that's going to be our mug uh, so crazy James uh, you can expect it obviously we'll be making an announcement and you'll be able to buy it uh, by way of RyanJesperson.com this is a great time to remind you that the team at Eden Landscaping uh, if you're watching from the Prairie Provinces right now I mean yeah sure if you know if you're on Vancouver Island tuning in or if you're tuning in from from down in Utah or Mesa Arizona we heard from this morning or yeah maybe you're listening in from New Zealand. And uh, you're having a fabulous time. You know, you, the weather to you is beautiful and mild. But for some of us, we're in the middle of a deep freeze. You might not be thinking about landscaping. 
Eden landscaping is. As a matter of fact, this is when they're doing all the drafting and designing so they can hit the ground running, literally, uh, once it starts to thaw. They're ready to reinvent your front or backyard space, whether it's something small like a planting box or a new gazebo with an outdoor kitchen. They've been doing this stuff for more than 20 years. Check out landscapeedmonton.ca. Also wanted to give a shout out to the team at Alta Moving and Storage. This may not be the perfect time to move, or maybe it is. Maybe it's the perfect time to get it together and to finally take that step to let your anxiety move away, to dissipate. You've been thinking about making the move for a long time, but the thought of getting over that hump, the actual moving process, super stressful. We get it. A lot of people feel the same way. Alta Moving and Storage has that in mind. So they got these pod style containers. They're a perfect fit for your move because they customize the delivery and the pickup to what you need from them. That's the benefit of going local with Alta Moving and Storage. Find all their details by checking out the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. It's been a heck of a week. I mean, I've got some more emails here that I wanted to get into. And, it's and, an understatement. And then we have a then, then we have a bit of a, a tradition on Fridays. We'll, oh, we'll, what's that? We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up by getting our heart rates up a little higher. Uh, do we still, we don't still have a live shot of the world's longest hockey game, do we, Sam? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Do we still have that feed coming in? Let's check in on them, see how they're doing today. I wanted to thank uh, Dr. Brent Sake, who joined us. If you're just tuning in now, uh, Dr. Brent Sake, or even if you're listening to the podcast later on Friday, Saturday, even Sunday, there's still going to be playing look at this this is a live shot i think he said it had warmed up didn't he sam it had warmed up to minus 23 yes so it's not not a phrase we say often but so it's warmed up to minus 23 you know keep in mind these guys have been playing now uh and i should mention uh saker's wife janelle's out there too it's not just the fellas but they've been playing they'll they'll have played for more than 10 days straight by the time this is done they're already they're skating i think better than we skate after an hour uh they're doing a pretty unbelievable job so a shout out to them uh, wanted to get into a couple of these uh, emails this one from west side matt we really appreciate when you're in touch with us uh to talk at ryanjesperson.com that's the best way for you to get in touch with us uh matt west side matt says you know I'm, I'm a loyal viewer of your show on a daily basis and i really appreciate these challenging conversations that we need real talk on he said you know what he said I, I, something hit a nerve with me. He said, you, when you had Senator Doug Black on the show, the YouTube comments really kind of blew up. And he said, and in particular, um, I noted, um, this is weird for me to read. It feels weird for me to read this, but this is what Westside Matt said. Um, he said, you know what a dinosaur he is. You know how he's an old white guy living in the past. You know how people need to get him off the airwaves because oil is dead. Uh, you know, Westside Matt says, I just, I just wanted to say, you know, people who cry afoul oftentimes of the closed mindedness of right wingers, you know, need to keep in mind that the, the two far sides of the political spectrum have something in common. And that's dismissing views or opinions because they're different than their own. Both sides, says Westside Matt. Just wait. Now people are going to hashtag both sides. But he says both sides can have blind spots. Um, and, and he says, you know, even acknowledging and considering different voices, uh, it's frustrating to see that that a lot of times this is what can dominate these conversations. He says, so this hit a nerve with me. Right. He says he says we all know and we talk a lot about how the really far right can be nuts. He says, but we need to keep in mind that oftentimes this trend can go across the board. The type of behavior not constructed at not constructive at best and disrespectful at worst. He says, with regards to what you're doing on the show, Ryan and Sam, if you're not pissing somebody off, then that's when you better start to worry that from West Side Matt appreciated that. We got this one from Doug, who said, hey, following your conversation with Scott Gilmore yesterday from McLean's, it's too easy to point fingers. 
He said the, the, the PM and the premiers, they need to work together. The constitutional separation of provincial and federal responsibilities are demonstrating the weakness of our system. Uh, having said that, though, sadly, both sides have played to their constituents and not for the best of the country. Again, politics interfering with a solid response. I'd like to see more science, more evidence based practice and less politics. That from Doug. I got this one from Justin, who said, you know, only occasionally able to tune in live, but we always catch the podcast. And he said, I wanted to go back to your show from Monday, February 9th, and talk about how I feel about the approach the Alberta government's taking in easing restrictions. He says to give real talkers some background. If you read my email, says Justin, my spouse is a teacher in Calgary. I've been working home full time since everything closed down uh, coming up on a year ago. And my kids have chosen. We let them make the choice to do their school from home this year. So they're taking advantage of the hub online learning offered by the Calgary Board of Education. Our kids are in grade eight and ten. So their parents have junior high and high school kids. Justin says, you know, it's difficult to judge whether the choice to ease restrictions is a good one because of the lack of publicly available data. And this has been a pattern with this government. Our family's view is that several of the eased restrictions don't make sense. Uh, given what we read about newer, more contagious variants, what we heard from Dr. Saxinger on your show, Ryan, uh, we won't be going to a restaurant or to a gym because the risk in our view is too high, especially given sacrifices that we've already made. Nobody wants to throw away that investment. He says, we feel that the provincial government has not taken the health ramifications of this pandemic sufficiently seriously. Uh, evidence not only by erring on the side of keeping non-essential business open, but also by showing a lack of commitment to enforce restrictions that are put into place. Can anybody say Hope Springs Church? This follow on effect signals to many people that there aren't serious ramifications related to this pandemic. Then he says, for us, for our family, the most significant concern is that as restrictions ease and some families take advantage of additional opportunities to socialize or interact with more people growing their bubble, this additional risk is transferred via their children back to teachers. So in some ways, it feels like restrictions we put on ourselves to keep ourselves safe are, putting, are being put at risk by others who may not see the seriousness in the same way we do. And it happens, I believe, because of signaling from the provincial government. Justin says, thanks for the show and thanks for keeping these important conversations going. Justin, we appreciate that. You can be in touch anytime at talk at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, this is a great opportunity to remind you that the team at Todd's Mechanical is. Oh, I talked to Todd this week. The guy is running off his feet. I was say, he's probably slammed right now. Hey? He is absolutely slammed. Uh, but you know what? You know what's best about dealing with a small business owner like Todd? He wasn't too slammed to take my call. He wasn't too slammed to take Chris's call. We actually had some collaboration with partners this week. Chris Labossier, who owns Local Waste, you may have heard of them. They've got a little thing coming up here in about 90 seconds, a little something we call trash talk. Well, Labossier sends me a video of a pot light in his ceiling, and it was, well, it looked like a sprinkler. There was water coming through the pot light. Oh, that's not good. It's not good. No. It's not good. It, 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 as a matter of fact, you might say it might be slightly stressful. And Labossier says to me, I think it's time to call Todd's Mechanical. And I loved seeing the sponsors come together, the partners come together. Anyway, he responds to me after, says Todd did an unbelievable job. Uh, Todd is proud to be the plumber, keeping Edmonton warm and dry through these frigid temperatures, taking care of all of your plumbing and heating needs, including furnace repairs. I said to him, I said, how many furnaces have you repaired? He said, uh, he said, well, he said, I'll have 10 calls today. 
That was the day I talked to him. He said, I'm going to have 10 calls today. And he said, I treat them like emergencies, right? When it's minus 30 outside, your they furnace goes. Emergencies. You're, I mean, your house is losing a degree or two every hour. Oh, yeah. Maybe more than maybe more if it's not as efficient. So Todd is on it. Uh, write this number down. Even if you don't need them right now, you don't want to be scrambling when you do need them. Todd's Mechanical is at 780-499-7598. Also wanted to give a huge shout out to our friends at Grand Dog Essentials. Can I give a bigger endorsement than telling you that we feed our dogs, our family members, Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food, and that I did that, that we did that before they came in and joined this party we call Real Talk. We've been partners of theirs in a way. We've been customers of theirs for years now because we love the fact that they have a team of nutritionists that can help you pick what's best for your dog. They're family owned and operated and they do doorstop delivery in Calgary, Edmonton, and the Red Deer area across central Alberta. All you need to go to check in with them is granddog.ca. You can find them on social media and make sure you use the discount code REALTALK for 10% off uh, first-time orders. Of course, uh, we're going to wrap this Friday with a calm and reasoned mention that the team at Local Waste Services is ready to take over your waste management. For more than 25 years, they have been in the business of garbage and recycling. They've been going up against the big garbage guys, and they've been doing it in a way that allows you to connect with them on a first-name basis. It's because they're local, family-owned, and they care about you, their customers. They want you to talk trash with them, and all you need to do to do that is give them a shout today at 780-242-9746. Oh yeah, and they also sponsor a little thing we call Trash Talk. This one from Dave who says, don't you just hate how many people have the mindset I know where I'm going so everybody else should too? Dave says, I hate pulling up to an intersection and people aren't using their signal lights until they realize they're messing up everybody else's commute. Signal lights are there to help other drivers. Even if you know where you're going, I don't know where you're going and that's what really annoys me, right? People making a left-hand turn, then right away they turn into the outside lane. People have to learn signal lights work both ways. They use the signal light to turn left and then again, but the right signal to merge right use signal lights you may know where you're going but i do not that from dave how about this from lorraine who says what has to happen to edmonton you know we get a couple of days of good old-fashioned really cold weather everybody acts like it's the end of the world you live here says lorraine get over it and if it bugs you so much move to california where you can get hammered by mudslides or wildfires wiping out entire communities this cold weather should last at least two more weeks to kill off those rotten pine beetles that have destroyed our mountain forests. Die, you little buggers. Die. So buy another pair of long underwear and toughen up, folks. That from Lorraine. I love this one from Jared, who says, with regards to climate change, beef and dairy can be very detrimental to the environment. Yet McDonald's just ran a campaign on sustainable beef. Bullshit, says Jared. Is it actually possible for beef to be sustainable? segment idea thanks jared how about this one from james who says everybody's always screaming about affordable housing being in short supply you know why because it is he says well there's a traffic circle in bonnie dune in edmonton right around white avenue used to be townhouses that were affordable i know because i lived there he says they're gone now replaced by high-rise condos who can afford that in a lower income bracket i sure as hell can't were the old ones perfect no were they four walls and a roof 
absolutely. This was a short-sighted decision. Development may be needed, but make sure you don't end up burying people least likely able to dig themselves out of the hole. And then James says, could I get a little air guitar, Jespo? You know it! Now, here's the thing, though, James. I'm not done. Gotta keep going. Gotta keep moving. Kathy says, Jason, Kenny, I cannot keep quiet anymore. I'm sick of hearing you constantly blame the feds or anybody and everybody else for everything. You've demonstrated beyond question how unfit you are to lead. A leader accepts responsibility where appropriate, doesn't try to deflect in every every direction. I have so much more to say about your performance on many issues, but I don't have all day. Suffice it to say you're failing Alberta in every possible way. Stop pandering to corporate donors. Start representing Albertans, a frustrated and angry Kathy. And we'll wrap with this from Tori. Tori says, words can barely describe how utterly disgusted I am with the political mudslinging that has besieged our province. Listening to Drew Barnes on your show this week, Ryan had my blood pressure through the earmuffs. Fucking roof! You want an open and frank discussion, Drew? The snake oil you're peddling is of the worst kind. The kind that turns good people against one another. Pits raw emotion against science. Blissful ignorance against fact. And fantasy against reality. If you really are a champion for mental health, I applaud you for standing up for those in the depths of need, but you're far too many out there, far too many of you using other people's suffering as a way to justify your cockamamie, anti-mask, anti-lockdown rhetoric. Shame on you, says Tori. I love this country. I'm a proud Canadian. Stop trying to divide us with this Wexit bullshit. If you want to leave, leave. Nobody's stopping you. Just don't take my province with you. That's from Tori. This is trash talk and we'll talk to you live on tuesday morning at 8 30 mountain time